It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, going from Alabama to Hollywood with our husbands head in the hot box here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybar. And I'm Phyllis And with us, I uh, don't know if this is dropping before or after our Patreon episode with them, but with us is Brooke, from our Patreon episode, <laughs> Brooke Solomon, Jordan Gustafson from the Queer Quatcher Project podcasts are are very good friends um we've only met them twice are very good friends we love them but we've been to bruno we've been to bruno and back with them so i I mean like you 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 share a last name with uh with one of the great film characters of all time it's true i do that that must be a cool thing for you that's awesome a touchstone in our family actually yes like of all the characters you could have had a you could have shared a name with Mm. the best one not Jordan Obi Wan Kenobi. Not, no, 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 no. Jordan. Marge Gustafson is the fucking best. No, you got the best one. The best one. Yeah. I, <laughs> the, all, all, all I have is a lawyer named Larry Nybard that was in a couple episodes of Matlock, and uh, and I don't he, have anybody. And he lost. Well, you have you have the director of uh, She's All That, Robert Isco. I do. There you I go. Do. I yes. have so that's his, some. His, his actual cousin. There's my, some my random uncle. character on a Hawaiian surf drama from like the mid-2000s. Nice. Sounds His great. name is Brooke Solomon, and I know because I was very interested in Googling myself as a child, which should tell you everything you need to know about me. Um, and I would always be so mad that this character from some random surfing drama would come up instead of me. So. There are a lot of Solomons, though. 
There's first so names are also interesting because I feel like there aren't a lot of like Jordan big characters. So like there was that thing going around on Twitter a bit ago where it's like four characters that have your name. And I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, slam dunk. Let's find some Jordans. And like the biggest Jordan was like crossing Jordan. I'm sorry, Jordan so. Belfort, Jordan <laughs> Baker. Yes. Catalano. And what about Jordan? Uh, and also Jordan Catalano. Yeah, exactly. Catalano. I mean, I'm not Belfort's saying there's a good not one. a yeah. lot of them. But there aren't like tons, you know. There was Jordan. A lot to work uh, with. I don't remember her last name, but from I love uh, her Studio Sixty on the Sunset. Oh God! Strip. Yes, uh, Jordan, Jordan. Everything Deer. I want to be remembered for. Jordan, Jordan McDeer. McDeer. Give me, give me a couple of Kennys. Good. Uh, very South Kennys. Park. You got, you got South, South Park. Park. That's a, the, the Kenny. The Kenny of all Kennys. That's like the you biggest know? Kenny. The Kenny yeah. of all Kennys. I like him. He's a good Kenny. Now, I have a question. Which do you think is more remembered, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip or Crazy in Alabama? Definitely <laughs> Studio 60. <laughs> Definitely. So, so, Crazy in Alabama has, so as we've discussed on previous episodes, you know, we're in our last year of, of podcasts like it's 1999. So, these movies have been on our list for four years. So, Crazy <laughs> in Alabama has been sitting on that list. And Kenny and I have often thought about, like, what are we gonna do with this one? There's something to be done here. Like this is gonna be interesting, right? Like this, and 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 you're not wrong. Like we just Antonio Banderas directed right, it, directing like, his wife. Like yeah. there's something, something here. here. Lucas Black, yeehaw! It's actually shocking how little there is here, given that there should be something. Yeah, here. but there's really also like incredible a lot here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's it's just like it's it's so I play this movie. What came very, very apparent to me, and I texted this to you, Penny, because um, I was it's, asking it's, myself. It's maybe your best observation of the podcast. I well, I appreciate that. Uh, maybe it's been a long. It's been a long time, and this is the best. But okay, sure. Um, great, say it. It's a very good observation. Listeners yeah. will agree. <laughs> um, I pressed play on this, and I and I found myself asking, why did Antonio Banderas want to make this movie? And I think Antonio Banderas learned very quickly how hard it is to do what Pedro Almodovar does. Yes. Because there's no question that he was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do my crazy, rompy kind of thing. And I don't mean to, I'm not generalizing Almodovar as being that, that, but you know what I'm saying. But that also has something like deathly serious happening at the same time. Yes. Yes. Like a melodrama, but there's like a crazy stakes and there's a lot of camp happening, but the camp is also coinciding Mm -hmm. with serious themes. Yes. Uh, does not work. <laughs> Doesn't work. Even the credit sequence looks like Almodovar's yeah, credit sequence. Color. Bright, garish colors and, and not just just a pop of really bright color. It's, 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 it's really it's fascinating to see. It's crazy to see someone who, you know, Antonio Vinares, obviously not a, uh, obviously not an American, Spanish guy, but right. like at this point in his life, like has lived here for a very long time, married <laughs> to an American woman, uh, He's an American and, you know, and, and kind of weaned in Hollywood the last one. He's an American director at this point, to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. weird to see an, like someone who has like, like lived and breathed Hollywood film try to make an, a Motivar movie and how... Ugh, in the whole <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it also goes to show as well, because like, we, are, we are in a world now where theoretically it seems that Almodovar is making his first English language film with Kate Blanchett. Yes. We'll see if that happens. Well, sure. I'm, okay. I'm very curious to see what that film is because so much of 
uh, Motivar's films is so entrenched in the language and the culture and the, yeah. you know what I mean? So I just don't know how well that translates. It might be great. Who knows? But this just goes to show that the culture clash of like Southern America yeah. <laughs> with the sensibilities of, or an attempt at the sensibilities of what Almodovar does in his films does not work. Like you those are two that, things that don't you, work. You know what the Blanchett movie is called? I don't. It's so good. What is it? A Manual for Cleaning Women. Great. And yeah, great. I, I'm in. I, it's just a manual. Is, is it a manual for cleaning women? Or is it a manual for cleaning women? <laughs> it's pretty good. And, and, and give it a Motivar's track record. And then you think it's of probably this movie. the latter. It could be either one. Crazy either in one. Alabama. Or is it crazy in Alabama? I don't know. Yeah. You know, it, it makes you think yeah. a lot. No, it's crazy in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it is it, it is a fascinating thing. This film is a weird thing in a for a bunch of reasons. But like this cast is pretty bizarre too, right? Like you've got Rod Steiger, Richard Schiff, Meatloaf, Kathy Moriarty, David Morse, and then and spearheading this whole thing, Holt obviously Osborne. is Melanie Griffith, who at this point in her career is in a weird spot. Like, yes. yeah. she had a big 80s where, I mean, obviously she did something wild. She does Working Girl. My favorite movie of all you time. is obsessed with something Working wild. Girl is something wild. Something wild is favorite movie of all time. That's really cool. That's a good that, choice. That, a great. With, with Little Shop, as we've mentioned, those are like the alternating top fours in there. Yeah. I mean, I think Something Wild is straight up brilliant like i yeah, think it's so, that is so good and that is a movie that shows how to navigate tone yes it's one of the yes. best and yeah. also right. like practically impossible to replicate right like 100 percent. so, so a, d- right. a director who can handle it. <laughs> yeah a, a real master real yes. genius yeah yeah so she does working girl in 88 and that is she gets an academy award nomination it's an enormous movie it's a great movie too i mean so, working yes. girl, great one of the love. one of the best and then kind of has nowhere to go from there. Work at Working Girl straight up is, you know, among the top movie, top 10 movies that like, I wish I could just, you know, erase from everybody's memory. Yes. And yes, make yes. it myself. Yes. Yes. You know, I would, what was the, the Beatles movie? Uh, yesterday. Oh, yesterday. <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I could yesterday that movie. Yeah. You know, we're going to get a Working Girl remake. My guess is imminently at some point. Limited uh, series. Oh, no. Ooh. Limited series. You know, be I would uh I, I would hate that. Um not in, I, I think I would I would hate the uh the, the updating of that movie very much. Right. Yeah, I think right. that's what I would hate. I, I we we got it. It's called the intern fantastic movie, Nancy. Good movie. Great, great movie, great movie. Yeah. Great Nancy Notch out of yeah. the park. Yeah. I know what a working girl looks like in modern times. Yep. Let's move on. Yep. Yeah. So in ninety, uh Melanie Griffith has Pacific Heights and Bonfire of the Vanities. And Bonfire of the Vanities feels like the movie that really kind of puts a bullet in her and, and quite frankly a, a bomb bunch of fire at the vanities. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, firebomb. Yeah, firebomb the of the vanities. Uh, uh, and then she does Shining Through, the 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 Nazi thriller with uh, Michael Douglas, um, Stranger Among Us. 
She has a remake of Born Yesterday in 93. She's great in Nobody's Fool, a movie, an, an underseen, the Paul Newman film, which I fucking love. Which came out in 93. He was nominated for it. It's a movie. It's a movie. People it's, love great. It. it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of, it's sort of. Well, and then there's Milk yeah. Money, which is like a perpetual, yes. like, you know, HBO film. I've probably seen yes. it 50 times. But if you look at her, you're looking at her filmography. On Wikipedia, I am right now, yes. Yeah. On Wikipedia or on. Oh, on Wikipedia, IMDb. yeah. What you're, what you're neglecting to say, and I respect you for it, is almost every movie she made in the, non, in the 90s, she was nominated for a Razzie. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm looking at... Yeah. It's, it's really sad, actually. It's nasty. She gets, she gets one for Bonfire of the Vanities, then Shining Through, then Stranger Among Us, then Born Yesterday, then oh. Too Much, then Mulholland Drive. She's nominated for a Raspberry for this. Which is uh, so rude. It's so rude. Cecil B. Demented, she also yeah. gets... Which, by the way, not a bad it, movie incredible title one of the best titles great title. one of the best titles but this is all just to say that like you never act with steven dorf that's it should always well, be you never do it she just burned very bright very quickly and it's interesting when you think about how much of a star like the name melanie griffith still means something totally. and yet she doesn't have that many movies that you would be like you gotta sit down and watch this one it's like two or three two. Like body double, kind of, right? Kind yes. of. I mean, like yep. I love that movie to death. Sure. But like sure. how much of it honestly do you think is like the Tippy Hendren family totally. power that totally. comes with it? You know, because yes. Tippy is like one of the classic Hitchcock Hollywood stars. And like yep. when you come yep. from a Hollywood family, no matter what, you're gonna carry so much cachet with you. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not great, you have that weight, you know. Well, Dakota is is Dakota. to some degree dealing with exactly. that a little bit too. Yeah, totally. So, there is interesting. So, I mean, the the other part about it is she has that like she had very similar to uh, to Melanie Griffith to me mm-hmm. was the Kate Hudson director, mm-hmm. sure, where they sure. both had this like incredible role early in their career where they just knocked it out of the park and people are like, this is they're the real deal. Yeah, and Kate, if you look at Kate Hudson's filmography, you're like. Wait, why do we think she's so special? Because like, yeah, well, we've talked about how Hollywood like we 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 really fucked up with Kate Hudson. Cr- I, you know, I'm cr- and I'm crazy about her, and I'm yep. always rooting for her. I'm thrilled she's the knives out. Like she's only, yep. like, she's so young. Yep. Like this is we're not nearly done with the story. But, totally like, agree. It's just yeah, Kate Hudson. If you look at her filmography, you're just like, all right, there was almost famous, and then a bunch of films that like weren't very good, and then a bunch of films that were like not good at all, and then she didn't make it anything forever. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of Melanie Griffith like hardly made a, uh, a film of note after Tease Will Be Demented. Correct. So, yeah. but again, to your point, like Mel, like I always kind of in my head, you know, think of her, you know, kind of like Meg Ryan, kind of like Goldie Hawn. Like mm-hmm. all three of them have big names and at any moment could come back and do, for instance, like a Jane Fonda and Grace and Frankie and, and have their own show and be yep. top of the marquee and it would be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that that to me speaks a little bit to like what star power was in the eighties. You know what it well, meant to be a big, bright, shining, working girl star. You know, have like had that kind of breakout performance. And well, you yeah, still have cachet now, yeah. for sure. And, you know, we we Kenny and I were talking a little bit about the the John Grisham movies the other day, mm. and how all of those are packed with movie stars, right? Like every single one of them. For the most part, I would say yeah, every no, they, one of them. They are. They yeah. are. Yeah. They're, they no, are movie yeah. star vehicles. And we don't do that anymore, really, because movie stars don't open films like they used to. Yeah. And um, also, like, kind of don't exist anymore versus, like, the ones that do yeah. burn is, you know, that have carried yeah. over. Well, yeah. it does feel like it is. It's interesting because, like, there are still some that 
I think can open movies. Well, there, there's yeah. also like those. So those, I, uh, you know, for I get, I don't know why it's happening. Why Grisham, Grisham's have with me, yeah. and Bill and Nolan. Yeah. Uh, He's having little moments. You think about these Christian movies and these Christian adjacent movies that really were the star vehicles of the nineties. You know, that kind of straddled that populist thing, but also awards stuff. Those movies still kind of get made. Like uh, uh, what was the movie with uh, dark water got made, right? Yep. It's it's a great film, right? But people, no one really saw it. No Ruffalo really didn't get a bob bob. And there's really virtually no margin. Like uh, the movie where Denzel Washington played the lawyer and had Esquire at the end of his name. Sure. Roman J. Israel. Come on That's now. Right. Roman J. Israel. I still haven't seen Esquire. that. People love it. I got to watch that. I have People not like seen that it. movie. But again, there's like virtually no margin to playing to, to playing these like, you know, crusading lawyers anymore. And yeah. that's... For adults, you know, too. Yeah. Like yes. an adult-oriented movie like that. Where it's but like, I do think... The last one that comes to mind, and this is a weird one to pick, but I'm, I'm just for what it's worth for the conversation. But like, do you guys see Gifted? Yes. The the Chris Evans movie with. I actually um, really wait. Like this movie? is crazy that you, you have seen this and seen I it? haven't seen this. I definitely saw this on a plane. I definitely cried my eyes out. It's a good movie. Is that it's a good movie? Is that Mark Jenny, Webb? Jenny Slate too? Yes, yes it Jenny was Slate. Chris they Evans, were dating. Is where they met. The, the yes. chemistry yes. is sizzling. It's, McKenna it's Grace totally is there, there. Yeah. doing the work of twenty five women. And Grace McKenna plays the young girl. She's a little genius, right? Yeah, she's a little genius. He's your uncle and has to take care of her and Jenny Slate's yeah. a teacher. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There you it's go. a fucking low stakes, <laughs> smart, grounded. Saw it. It's a good movie. Mark Webb directed it. I wish he did more movies like it. I know you never saw it, Kenny. My point of saying this is that movie opened. It did well. I think that Chris Evans in certain things can, can open a movie on his own. Yeah. 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 I think he's one of those people that can. I think that... I think Robert Denny Jr. was a guy who could, and then he kind of made Doolittle well, or whatever, but we, whatever. We Literally, just we just talked him. about this. It's so yeah. sad because that, like, Downey Jr. from, like, 2005 through 2012 is, like, yes. some of the best star power we've had in so, so long. And he squanders and it, it. And it just goes away. Yeah. It just goes away. Yeah. Well, he also chased some weird, like, Oscar baity things. Like, The Judge and The, the Soloist are two <laughs> movies where you're just, like... The Judge and The Soloist. No. Yes, yeah. the Jamie I mean, Foxx thing. It's yeah. so funny that that is literally, like, 2013 or something. Right. Like, it's right it's at, so the, at the, like... <laughs> It's, it's so Oscar baity. He's trying so hard to win the Oscar. And and listen, I get it. But I, I also just feel like exactly what you said, Jordan. Like he had this pocket where he basically could have got anything made. And he weirdly picked the judge. Like, I, I mean, okay. No, yeah. It's crazy. So here's a question. Yeah. We like Chris Evans on this podcast, right? Yeah, Everyone sure. likes Chris yeah. Evans. Oh, yes. Good message. America's ass. Boy. Yeah. yeah. How, Mary, exactly. How does Chris Evans win an Oscar? If you were, if you were oh, Chris Evans' guy, I don't know if you've heard about the Gene Kelly biopic. Sure to be the oh, most yeah. successful thing in history. Is he? Um, is that a real he's thing? Playing Gene Kelly, oh, yeah. It's real. Yeah. Oh, right, it's so, real. So that's not the answer. That, <laughs> that's the like, that's the entourage answer, right? Like that, that is like, the entourage. That's answer. like you know, hey, you'll play Enzo Ferrari. Now someone's actually playing Enzo Ferrari. Yes, the Michael Mann movie. Michael Mann. Yeah. It's Christian uh, Bale. And he's, probably, and he's probably going to want to fucking Oscar. Sure yeah. But uh, how does yeah? Because I don't. I look. I don't believe. I, I don't know he, the answer. How do you do it? 
I think you go like the Knives Out route, honestly, where you get him in like a character piece a and like he's doing like yeah. a bit, and it's like, and I think that's honestly how Downey could get it. Like with, I don't think he's going to win for Oppenheimer, but I think if he goes that route, he in Oppenheimer, he, he oh, is yeah. in makeup. It looks he, like, so looks old, good. Old and yeah, stuff. it's very. Good. I'm so looking the, this up right now. The, uh, <laughs> The, the if the if it were made today, role that Downey Jr. would win for a Zodiac. Oh, like, for that's sure. the, yes. it's so yes. crazy. That, that is the end. thing because you, yeah. you, you you he in particular to Robert Downey Jr. If he is the second lead in a Scorsese's 100 years old, but a Scorsese movie or a Fincher movie or one of our like because yes. I initially I'm thinking with like Benedict Cumberbatch like. No, not better. I'm, I'm thinking with uh, Chris Klein, like if he got in a Power of the Dog type situation and broke down his own persona, like yeah. he did in Knives Out, which was brilliant, yep. he could he could get a, a nomination. Or you're right, because maybe <laughs> we're 10 years away from Chris Evans, you know, finding his own little Brad Pitt role. Yeah, like, uh, uh, that's what I was going to yeah. say once Fun Time Hollywood. It's yes, so yes, much yes. fun. I think like particularly leading, well, not only, but like more leading men leading men mm-hmm. do fun supporting roles because they just always have so much fun with it and it feels really freeing and I think yeah. like I don't know I think especially in recent years a lot has been made of like these big like female like lead actor performances mm-hmm. like you are the center of your own movie the movie is not nominated for anything else besides your performance but like I I love the freedom that a supporting performance gives to these like big juggernauts. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern and marriage story, even like, sure, sure, sure. Mind. like sure. where you just have fun, you can chew scenery and you can be rewarded for it without feeling like you're like, everything is resting on your shoulders. Yeah. Like I think the success of this movie. It's yeah. so funny. You say that. Cause like, I'm thinking about how, if you look at like the Chris's, I unfortunately like just, if you look at Chris Evans, you look at Chris Pine uh, and, and even uh, Hemsworth, how they're trying in their own ways within the golden handcuffs that they have of their careers to find these little kind of nooks and crannies of interesting things. And then on the flip side of that, you have someone like Gyllenhaal who's doing great shit, but but wants to be a fucking Chris. Like he wants to be like, you see him. And I think if you see him in ambulance, I think that I think Jake Gyllenhaal, I liked ambulance just fine, but Jake Gyllenhaal is a guy who definitely wants to be an Avenger. Like, he he wants to be one nah, of those guys. I don't feel you, dude. I, I think he I wants to be like a character. I think, I think I he's like a character actor trapped I think in like he, a, a leading man's body, you it's know? kind of best of both worlds because he knows at this point that he can be very unhinged and lead a movie, yeah. even if it's something boy, smaller. Boy, boy, boy. Like The Guilty or <laughs> Ambulance. You know, like, I he, just, he can be the I still I, think uh, I still think Prince of Persia is in that guy. I still oh, think God. there's a guy who wanted to be a big fucking movie star and it didn't fucking happen I and think it, he it fucking kills him. I think if, he spit that guy out with a, in, a, in a sack lunch. If I lost the Oscar for Nightcrawler, lunch? I would never act again. Wasn't nominated. Didn't lost. You didn't get nominated. I know. I know. It is one of the most egregious I agree. things that has ever happened on God's Green Earth. I agree. Anyway. Um, to, to pivot back to Crazy in Alabama oh, for yeah. a quick moment here, the movie <laughs> right. that we are here to this talk film. about. Right, of course. Um, I'm going to give a quick synopsis for the people most people who have not seen Crazy in Alabama. In 1965, eccentric Lucille Vinson, played by Melanie Griffith, murders her abusive husband, chops off his head and flees to Hollywood to pursue television fame. You know, that old chestnut. Back to Alabama. It is uh, her an old hometown. fucking chestnut. It's like, oh, 
Uh, Sorry, back in her Alabama hometown, nephew P. Joe Bullis, played by Lucas Black, witnesses the killing of a young black man by racist Sheriff John Doggett, played by Meatloaf, and is unsure <laughs> whether he God, should testify against him. When the law catches up with Lucille, she returns home where P. Joe is becoming increasingly involved with the civil rights movement. <laughs> That is Crazy in Alabama, uh, which opened on October 22nd, 1999, against The Best Man, Double Jeopardy, Fight Club, and Bringing Out the Dead. It would go on to make $2 million on a $15 million budget. It's got 30% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 64% from audiences, which is higher than I would have imagined. Uh, Roger Reaper gave the film two stars, said, Crazy in Alabama is ungainly fit of three stories that have no business being shoehorned into the same movie. The first one is familiar, events seen through the eyes of a young boy in a small town circa 1965 who recalls the day nothing was ever the same again. This point of view could have worked with either of the other two stories, but not both at once. A ditzy dame snaps after her years of cruel husband leaves for Hollywood for fame and fortune and finds, and the second being, a local black boy becomes the focus of a civil rights crusade. It is a symptom of a movie confused, the movie's confused agenda, and although the outcome produces two trials, which is insane to say, <laughs> uh, it is the ditzy dame whose fate is settled on screen and not the man charged with a crime against a black boy the film is is a directorial debut and uh spoiler the last film that antonio banderas directed (laughs) uh he is melanie griffith's husband who does a competent professional job although at the outset they should have realized that each of their main stories would curdle the other one when a boy is dead in a civil rights case that kind of takes the comedy out of the sex scene that case defending herself in court uh yeah Agreed on on all counts. Uh, Hard hard to fight any of the charges that Roger has leveled at this film. But I want to say this. Uh, About 15 or 20 minutes into this movie, I was sort of like, this movie's more interesting than I expected it to be. Like, I actually thought it was just going to be boring. It's not boring. But it's very strange. It it's you get whiplash whenever it goes from Alabama to whatever the fuck Lucille's up to. But it's, it's interesting. You cut from Lucas, a little one-eyed Lucas Black being like, I saw a man murdered. And then it cuts to like <laughs> her, like parade across the top her yeah. goat. And yeah. you're like, these two things can't coincide yeah. with each other. And it's, it's crazy. I think the fact that like, I mean, there is obviously an effort made to link the two and that they're related and like it all culminates in Alabama. Yes. But like, yes. the, the, clearly there was no, there's not a single thematic through line that you can lean on even a little bit. Every time she talks to him <laughs> on the phone, you're like, why on earth are you talking to this boy? Who is yeah. he? How when they have that why does he sound like a 40 year old man? Yeah. When they have the split screen conversation when she's on the payphone, And yeah. I was just like, first of all, the, the, the performances in that scene in particular are incredibly stilted. So, like, it really feels just weirdly theatrical and it doesn't really work. And the split screen, again, feels like another sort of, like, tip of the hat to a motivar and all that kind of stuff. Yes. But it's just, to your point, they're in two different fucking movies. And they're literally talking to each other. You're just like, I don't understand how this is happening. But only one of those movies mm-hmm. has to be a movie, which is the Melanie Griffin movie. Yes. yes. Which is the... It's, it's more interesting. A million it's times. perfectly fine. Like it's. Yeah, I yeah. I I am like, and I think I'm not alone. I'm a pretty big fan and defender of Nurse Betty, which shares a lot of DNA. Good movie. And Good movie. Yeah. There's a lot of DNA with this. Came out the year later and only has the story of Nurse Betty uh, going to Hollywood. Doesn't also have like 
her nephew solving civil rights. Um, it, <laughs> I'm going to shake Martin Luther King Jr.'s hand. That was crazy. It's wild. It's so wild because I think that there is some stuff in the Melanie Griffith part that's kind of fun. I think it's kind of fun when she, you know, steals the guy's car. I think it's kind of fun yep. when she seduces Noah Emmerich. I think it's kind of fun when she, like, ta- you know, talks to her dead husband and has his head in a hat box. I agree. Like, that's, I agree. that's unusual yes. stuff. That is unmotivarian. Totally. Like, that is, that is kind of the, the, the weirdness totally. that, like, you know, at least at the end, I would be like, good effort. But now at the end, I'm like, you're gross. Like, yeah. what you what you did with the other part of this movie is gross. Gross. And, and, and I and now I'm like, and like, first of all, like, juxtaposing it with this with this mm-hmm. Melanie Griffith thing, like, destroys both of them. Yeah. Makes the Melanie yeah. Griffith part completely, like, completely meaningless. And like, what happens in Alabama, like, using a black kid's death as a catalyst for a white kid's White savior Martin, story, yeah. Handshake. All it is is a fucking yeah, kind of a white savior. But then you have the Rod Seiger part, which is absurd. And like, I, I man could do a lot of stuff. He is not a judge, but he is not a judge. Uh, <laughs> it's so. Funny. I also, I'm so fascinated by what the book must have been like. Oh my gosh. Okay, I went on like down a rabbit hole Please, trying to figure me. out. I was like, who conceived of this? Was this all straight from Antonio Banderas's brain? Like, what? is going on. I need yeah. to know. So I looked up the author and weirdly he has like six of these books that all seem to yeah. be about the same where it's like something wacky happens, but in the deep South. So it's serious. And that's yeah. just all of his books. And some of them are weirdly well reviewed, including, including this crazy one. in Alabama. Yes. Which yeah. I believe. Fucked up. It's, me. it's crazy. don't understand. It's, it's one of those things where like, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's, IP book thing maybe someone somewhere was like we'll buy the rights to this book I don't know I mean it's it, maybe it gets to Melanie and maybe she sees a, a star vehicle star in it vehicle, yeah. um, I, I don't know I don't think she was a producer on this um, no but uh, I, I don't know uh, yeah I don't I don't really I don't really get it but I also think, and I'm sure we've said this many times before, Kenny, on this on the 99 pod, but like when the credits started to roll on this movie, I was like, not only would this movie never get made today for a myriad of reasons, but also a movie of this scale, a movie of this kind of like mid-tier $15 million budgeted thing, you know, doesn't really have a thing anymore. You know what I yeah, thought, Phil, was, yeah. uh, you know, we, we often say movies, or this movie wouldn't get made today, you know, yeah. in kind of a, a, a lamenting tone. I thought this is a good Thank this is fucking a good one. God. This is a good yeah. one that we shouldn't make. This, this, is, this is, I agree. Like, this is, we buried this with reason. This is, a, this is bad yes. stuff. Yes. Bad yes. stuff. <laughs> except, like, except I do, like, and I... My grade doesn't reflect it because I think that, you know, it's it's worse for the fact that the Melanie Griffith stuff is interesting. Yeah. But that stuff is compelling and like, yep. you know, it's yeah. in Arizona-ish and it's Yep, yep. You yeah. know, it, it has some of that like madness. I don't know. Shame. I think it's I agree. like yeah. that she that she did have kind of you know it's not that it's such a great performance because it's not. I think the wig is absurd. But uh <laughs> What? Wait, wig she's is, wearing a wig? a wig? I kept expecting her to take it off and reveal yes. that it was like an in-universe wig. Never happened. Like in something uh, something wild. I was yes. like, oh, she'll yes. take this off. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it almost like robs her from Melanie Griffith 
Miss, I agree. I agree. Yes. But uh, aside from that, you know, like there's good shit here, and and, and she yeah. could have like it, it feels like Antonio Banderas is more into the movie as a director mm-hmm. when it's her. like there's this really weird part where they, where they have Lucille the character's name is Lucille they have Lucille the Little Richard song playing on the background they started with Noah Emmerich yelling Lucille and then, yeah yeah then it like also has Little Richard and then yeah. they have I believe a uh like a like a desert lizard mouth yes. some of the uh some yes. Of the- yes yes <laughs> I was kind of like, into that that's yeah I was gonna say that's not like it's not like inspired but it is kind of like yeah, yeah no one it else is doing this shit I love <laughs> I love a little bit of like crime. I love love a little bit of like women on the run. Basically, if there is any sort of movie where a husband has died under mysterious circumstances and the woman goes into a diner in this scene and all diner sure. waitress says something like, Honey, I bet he had it coming. Like I oh, that's a love good scene. That. Yeah. That's yes. the a best scene of the movie. Yes. yes. Yeah, like that I was very on board. I was very hopeful at that point of the movie. My hope gradually disappeared as the runtime went on. Do you mean with yeah. a court scene that lasts about fifty minutes? So long. Uh, hey, so long. I so, I think take it out of it. I need this on public record. This movie was pitched to us vaguely by you guys, and we were like, "Sure, that sounds good." I just want to. I just want to say we did not volunteer. Yes, you didn't pick this. No, no, no. We would. We, we. We. You know. We definitely put this upon you guys. So I don't do it anyway. Fave of mine. What do you mean? I'm I a Lucas Black stand. <laughs> I think we it, are talking about Fast and Furious very shortly, true. so we're gonna run into him. You um, are going to run into it. You're, you're doing the whole. You're doing the whole. Uh, all. Ten. Oh yeah, we're he doing, looks we're the same in this as he does in like ten years Nine, later. Yeah, he never. He, he doesn't I age. Does, I think he does such a terrible job in Fast and Furious <laughs> Three in Tokyo Drift. Yeah. He is His, like. It's like, amazing oh, they bring oh, him back. Quite honestly, we, well, it's adorable they bring him back, yeah. and that's part of why I love the franchise so much. But he family. Uh, Family. It is family, and like, and like, even including like a guy like Lucas Black in the family, giving him a role is so nice. It's like you're a black sheep. We this need someone dude, needs you back, though. Yeah. <laughs> this dude is a regular on a fucking on a tele. Here he was until it got canceled. CSI New Orleans, or yes, NCIS New Orleans. The fact that Lucas Black is still a working, very successful actor is d- flies in the face of everything I think I know about acting. And He's yeah, Will yes. Poulter's tethered. No, is how I'm doing. I hate That's that. interesting. That's interesting. Oh god, yeah. I feel like NCIS has saved so many careers. Chris O'Donnell. Oh, I was going to say Chris O'Donnell being yeah. the classic. I always think oh. of um, who's our girl from Stick It. Uh, oh god. Oh, Missy Peregrine. Missy Peregrine yeah, and yeah. doing like whatever a hundred episodes of FBI, and I'm like yep. that. Good for her. I don't Man know why I would say good for her about Lucas. I, to to rewind still, to what you were uh, saying I, I earlier. Missy Peregrine. Oh god, about, the best. Yeah, she's about so when you tapped out of the movie or when you expected the film to go one way and it went another i genuinely thought that lucas was going to go on the road trip with (laughs) yeah something like i thought the movie was going to be about those two and this kid's crazy wacky road trip with his you know murdering aunt or whatever like that's a movie right the weird part of it and it sort of occurred to me kenny when you were talking about how she has the more interesting storyline. She does. But at the same time, the movie's actually weirdly not about her. Like, it's more about, like, the mythos of her in some way and her effects on the people around her than it is actually a story of Lucille's... Like, Lucille's arc, by the way, is kind of non-existent. Yeah. She doesn't really learn anything or change by the end of the film. 
it's crazy to me that she like gets caught for the crime of having her husband's head in a hat box. But like she barely by the stalls way. Right. long enough for that to actually happen. How does it not degrade? I, like, I was just gonna say that head is going to smell. Yes. It's in a fucking hat box. A stinky head. It goes yeah. across the desert. And it's like the way degrees. she's the way she's caught because they think she's trying to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge because she accidentally sort of almost drops the head off oh, the of money. the Golden Gate the Bridge. Money. The, money. the money. Oh, that was uh, my apologies. That, that was she won playing that. She's in the game. You win it. In Vegas, because there's a whole yeah. Vegas thing, remember? And she meets a driver uh, who falls so in love with her that the driver follows her all the way back to Alabama. I was I was feeling this, though. I don't know. Maybe I was just... You were feeling like, Richard Schiff in this? The same yeah. year, he's Toby Ziegler <laughs> in the, the pilot of The West Wing. You know, I love this about Richard Schiff. It's like, in the same year, he goes and playing, like, like ugly guy who has to chase Melanie Griffith across the country to like sex symbol. Sex symbol on the West Wing. The the dude grows a beard and becomes like America's fucking (laughs) hot next door. Facial hair is contour for men. If you can grow facial hair, give it a try. It is well, it does wonders. It's pretty Sorry. incredible. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, Phil, he's you not- had some facial hair for a while, and you looked great. Me? You had a beard. I did. It was uh, it was a it was, yeah, a, it was, it was a, a superstitious good, beard. It was a good yeah. full beard, and you looked fantastic. I think. Well, I appreciate that, Kenny. I, I I've thought about doing it uh, in the, but it's so fucking itchy. I don't understand how anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not great. I, I don't grow a great beard. I'm just, I'm just lazy. Down. That's all. But yeah, but you got you got a nice. You know, there's a I little bit good, of scruff there. I look good head on, but you know. <laughs> but but point is that Richard Schiff, who's given very little to do in this other than to, you know, basically chase Melanie Griffith around. Um, but there are, I mean, David Morse is a really underrated actor. I just saw him on Broadway. Agreed. Uh, great fucking actor. What, what did you um, see him in? Uh, How I Learned to Drive with uh, oh. Mary Louise Parker. Oh, I didn't know he was um, in He's the and best. He was, um, they're both amazing in it. Uh, it's a revival. They've played those performances, those roles before, so they're doing it again. Yeah. Um, but an underrated guy, like a guy that sort of, I mean, obviously he's on St. Elsewhere and that's kind of where he gets his, his bona fides to some degree. And then he kind of bounces around. He's been, he was in a bunch of movies in the nineties that I remember him in like 12 monkeys and contact and that kind of stuff. But like just a really solid fucking character actor. And again, like not given a ton to do in this, but he's still really solid. Yeah, he, he, con- he fucking kills it in contact. Like, yes, you gotta play the, playing the dad. You gotta yeah. sell yeah. that shit. Yeah. And, and he's like, great. He's I think the only one who walks out of this like the least awful yes. with a respectable yes. you know, performance. Like I'm not gonna look at him and be like, oh no, because he's at least <laughs> trying, but his characters also give it absolutely nothing to do or to care about. And he's well, he's just, saintly, like, like he's a perfect right. human too. So yeah. you're just sort of right. like, eh. like, I don't think sure. he can give a bad performance. I, 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 I he or a performance that lacks dignity. He's a very dignified performer. Yeah. I also think he's probably really smart about the, the scripts he picks. You know, yeah. he, 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 I've also never seen him in a position to look silly, like straight up. No, Emmerich looks kind of silly in this movie. Yes. Uh, yes. You know? It's early Noah, days for and him. Noah Emmerich there. often puts himself in the position where he looks kind of silly. Yeah. You know? I not that they're with- that similar, but they, they could be. You know what I mean? They are like similar archetypes. They're both character actors around the same age. Yeah. Um, Dave, you know, imagine David Morris in the role in uh in, in Americans, it's not that hard. You know what I mean? He could have right, played that right. role. He's in the rock. I forgot he was in the rock. Yeah, he's one of uh Ed Harris. He's, he's Ed Harris's Harris. lieutenant. 
he's like, he's, he's you know, it's interesting because he is in another 99 movie that I forgot he was in, Kenny, mm-hmm. but he is in the Green Mile. He does go to Mouseville. Oh, because he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, Tom Hanks is number two. He's a great number he's two. He's a great number, number two. two. He's a great number two to a movie star. He's the kind of guy you can imagine movie star like respecting. Like, I don't know if you guys, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember Charles Oakley. Do you know Charles Oakley? Somewhat. The basketball player? The basketball yes. player. He's best friends with Michael Jordan. And Nothing like, better. there's, there's just better. something about Oakley where it's like, yeah, I get why. Like Oakley wasn't the best player, but he was like a tough guy, great rebounder, and just had like a swagger to him. It's like, yeah, yeah, Jordan would hang out with this guy. He's <laughs> got to hang out with somebody. Jordan's not going to hang out with someone like close to his level because then he's going to start getting angry. Well, he loves Barkley. So Barkley was like, he loves Barkley. And that was always his like, you know, good friend because I think Barkley made him laugh. But Oakley was like his roll dog. Like they would like, they would go and do the gambling go gamble. stuff together. Yes. <laughs> yes. They do the bad shit together. And I think Morris is a bit of a, a bit of an Oakley type of guy. I mean, next to the star power of Lucas Black, he mm-hmm. simply yeah, has true. no choice. That wattage is bright. Occasion. I mean, what are you going to do? Who decided the plot detail where he would bend over to a lawnmower and have and get a his, rock in the face, lose an eye, and you then people it. think that it's a gunshot, but for like a minute. For what a minute. <laughs> like, what the yeah. fuck is that? Yeah, take it up it's, with Mark Childress. Childress. <laughs> Well, it's amazing you have that. Lucas Black is, for, for context, he, he mows the lawns of, of like various, like I think it's like the, the, um, the, the baseball field or the football field or whatever. Anyway, and a rock gets stuck in the thing, flies in his eye, loses his eye. People think the townspeople circulate a false story that it was shot in retaliation to the black boy who was killed. Um, for context on the civil rights component of this film, there's a group of black boys that want to go in the pool because it's hot and the white people are like, no. And there's an altercation that ensues and, and Meatloaf kills one of the kids. He pulls him off a fence. I'm not defending like, Meatloaf the murderer. He kills this guy this is not even that young guy, 17, by pulling yeah. him off a fence, he was he was low enough that Meatloaf could pull him yeah. off. He was no more than yeah. three feet off the fence. If he that. did fall on the concrete, people survived fucking three-story falls. Yeah. It, it was not a murder fall. I, I did not think that he died for the longest time. No, I didn't time. either. I was, no. waiting, I was like, what is the point of this scene? Because I could not believe that it was that he had died. Nuts. It's, no. it was, it's it was, bad. It was too that. much. The other guy, the other guy who who's like the Black Davis, David Morse, yes. is uh, John Beasley. Plays Nehemiah Jackson, yeah. who also escapes this movie with dignity. And you know, you, yes. another another guy like Morse plays a lot of guys in the military. Like always, seems to kind of escape his shit with with uh, with dignity. Yes. But uh, that's because the this movie has like kind of a, just an excellent cast of pros. Well, this is this is the other thing too, right? Where on some level, there's a part of me that's like, this movie kind of directed itself in the sense that you don't get the impression that he's telling actors what like he's an actor director on top of that, right? So he's probably just saying to the actors. Go with your instincts. You're right. an actor and I'm an actor and fucking do whatever. So what you're getting is this weird kind of like, 
there's no kind of level playing field. All There's this vacillation of levels of what people are doing. They're just not all in the same movie is the thing. No. And that the director is the person, obviously, who has to have that cohesion. And if you're not going to kind of let the actors know what lane to stay in, you're going to get a performance like Melanie Griffiths, which feels cartoonish and 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 i don't mean this in a bad way she's actually good in this movie it's just she's in a different movie so i'm watching lucas haas lose his eye in a civil rights thing and then the next scene is her in bewitched and i'm just like i don't know what's fucking happening yeah Yeah. no i mean it's like she is actually doing what her portion of the movie should be if it wasn't like so egregiously different but like you said i think that Obviously, the severity of the Alabama plot line and the fact that it all coalesces around this trial, I think, like, makes her as really the only prominent female character look really stupid and really, like, shallow and ditzy. And it really is, like, not a good look. And it it sucks because there's no one for her to play off of who's, like, in that same zone as her. And because she's the only woman, it's just... It really falls. The the movie is is so out of its depth in every single sense. Like, she's an abused woman. Mm -hmm. That's why she killed her husband. Yet, when she gives her little uh, final final monologue about why she killed her husband, her testimony, which she does as a monologue, you know, by standing, it's mostly because he didn't like the dinner she cooked him. Because they they don't have the guts, and nor like kind of nor should they, because this movie is just not like capable of it of like describing what it's like to be an abused woman. So she's like, he doesn't like my dinner, and it hurt. But then they have like people throwing like racial slurs and like doing these like very intense like sit-ins and stuff. It's so bizarre. I also also, think it's insane that she leaves town because she's like, I can't say it with self-defense, and then her whole point at the trial. Is that she's able to legally prove in court that it was self-defense. Yeah, I mean, don't even really get me started on just, like, the legality of what the fuck is happening here. Like, the, I, I, her, her lawyer, I don't know, like, what what, what her plan is. Or That's Holmes is Osborne, any- the great Holmes Osborne. If you listen to uh, Dead Eyes, the podcast, he's a big component <laughs> of it. <laughs> I just, Deep podcast lore. It just really, by the end of it, she's giving this very emotional testimony where we're learning, where, by the way, talk about backfilling where basically they backfill her entire fucking character story as to why she did what she did what was going on but all that aside she's got this very emotional uh, sort of mental health you're just really not sure how you're supposed to feel about this character about what she's lived through about whether it's okay that she killed this man or not it feels like they're trying to get the audience to be like it's okay to side with this murderer right now because of what she went through and then the judge the rod steiger thing who just like throws out the law and it's just like i'm giving you 20 years but just kidding i'm giving you five years probation (laughs) you only have to go to therapy (laughs) what get a real good psychiatrist (laughs) like why not He's also, like, I opened this time. movie with her murdering her goddamn husband, yeah, and hello. then she hits the road. You have half a scene, and you don't go to Lucas Black at all, and it's a 30-minute short film, and, and Lucas that's Black it. Lucas Black is not in this movie. I will say, though, that is Cam. All of that business, that's, that so is That's Cam. why, because I, I, actually, I, actually, I actually texted Phil pretty early <laughs> on in the movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I said, uh, "What well, I mean? Yeah. Where's my text? I you know, t- I text Phil a lot." Um, he texted me. Was like, "It's kind of interesting. It's interesting that we have the the QQ guys on for this." And I was like, "Uh, good." Yeah. And he was like, "Yeah, not in a bad way." Like oh, it was. We, can, we will make anything. Work. We can make it, but yeah. it's just, it <laughs> is there. There is unquestionably her storyline. It's campy. Her, it's that's exactly campy. what I'm yes. getting yes. at. It's yes. campy. Yes. yes, and that's what I was. That's why I, I, I at the beginning, and there were moments where I'm like, I actually think this is good. Like when she yes. was in the bar mm-hmm. and pulls out the gun mm-hmm. and steals the guy's car. I'm like, yeah. and shoots the gun. You know, shoots it in the air and the. Yeah. The, the the three guys throw the table up. I'm like, no, this is actually good. Like, they, this mm-hmm. is this is campy, but it's not. You know, it's not intentional. They don't quite know what they're doing, but it still is fun. It's heightened. Mm-hmm. It's silly. It's you know, I like this, and that's the one I think I texted you guys. And the thing about this film is, like, again, we've done so many fucking shitty crime things that yeah. are worse than this. But I'm going to give this a lower rating because I'm more offended by this. Because. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it really comes down to, I mean, and Ebert obviously says it uh, very smartly in his review, but this is one of those things where when you put these two things next to each other, they both look really bad because yes. of the comparison yes. that the film is continually making. If this film had been about solely about Melanie Griffith's character, I think that A, Antonio Banderas might have gotten away with the Almodovar aping 100%. and might have been able to go full whole hog on that. And it might have actually worked because it's a tone that, you know, you can kind of have a little bit more fun with there's a little more leeway. The camp, I think he could have done that. But when you fucking cross cut it with a civil rights drama that you then short shrift at the end, it's just like, it's bonkers. Yeah, and it's like, I don't think, I mean, it is very interesting, like what you mentioned at the beginning that like Antonio Banderas is not an American, but like has obviously is like very integrated into America. But I think that, again, I don't think it's significantly worse than like a lot of very tone death about the civil rights movement but sure. like the the seriousness and sort of like yeah. the way that that's played straight just reads extremely odd to be like why why are you drawn to this like i don't yeah. understand what you found compelling about telling this story this way it at reeks all. like a fucking after school special like yes. the way how heavy-handed it is yeah. it's like racism is bad did you know that and then you can't cut to that to then be like morally ambiguous about like melanie griffith where it's like it's cool maybe murder is okay if you're being abused and like there is so much that you can talk about with like abused women and like how the system often will not if it was in self-defense actually help them which is also super interesting but then this movie's like no 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 we're gonna make jokes about that but then like this black death (laughs) deathly serious and you're like oh my god but then mixed into all of this it's interesting because you've got this lucas black voiceover which is also just interminable and 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 feels seven years old like it's very strange the last person you should ever be doing a voiceover so you have that and then mixed into it and you're sort when i think of like we were talking about grisham and how right the the he did Southern legal stuff in a compelling crackling sort of way that really works. And had the Lucas black stuff had that angle to it. I still don't necessarily think it would have worked next to the Melanie Griffith storyline. But part of the problem with this is it's kind of saccharine. It's kind of patronizing. It doesn't really feel like it's invested in really anything to say. 
And the maudlin kind of, it just doesn't work. But it's, too, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird and sad and stupid that for about 30 years, maybe longer, maybe, maybe to today, uh, you, mainstream movies have been telling the exact same story about the civil rights era from the exact same perspective with the exact same moral and every single time it has been presented as deathly serious. We are serious filmmakers. And I say maybe up until today because of green book, but like in, you know, in essence, (laughs) as we all know, green book did it so well. Yeah. He folded a pizza. I, I hey, I'm water. having a pizza. It's me, Tony Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I eat pizza better than the black guys. Hey, hey. you want some of this fried chicken? How hey. racist can I be? Let me teach you how to eat fried chicken. Because, all right, so uh, <laughs> what I'm saying about Green that tonal flip you just had Which, was like but, the movie. that was fantastic. Yeah, that was more adroit than this movie. Which, <laughs> I, the thing about Green Book, and I, I, I think, I think it's, I think it's like interesting is Green Book almost plays like parody in terms of the way that, that you know, non-Oscar voters received it, which is like, wait, wait, this is what we're, this is what we're doing? This is what we're rewarding? Like, uh, we, we got to stop this. Yeah. Like, this can't happen anymore. And I don't think it's ha- it has happened anymore. Like, I think that was the last yeah. gasp. <laughs> but... Maybe. I hope so. I mean, this is part of why I think that... I mean, maybe not on TV. Like, I do think that, like... I do think that there's still, you know, there's still room for, like, limited series where, like, white people... Where, like, white people save black people from, you know, the evils of racism. But I don't think you're going to see it in serious films anymore. I really don't. I do wonder, though, you know, you bring up the Oscars, and I do think that, like... I'm sure Melanie Griffith looked at this and was like, this could be an Oscar play. I'm sure that Antonio Banderas read this civil rights stuff and was like, listen, if I knock this out of the park, I mean, who knows what's possible. I I think that there's that kind of, I mean, that's all the wrong reasons to make this, but like, it it does feel like you have to wonder whether or not that's that, that entered their mind. That's why people, that's why people do everything in Hollywood. Also, also Oscars are money. Do you think it was like, Honestly, like I guess this is a Melanie and career question and Antonio. Do you think it was like a them thing or an agent thing, like for Melanie, where they like see this and they're like, "This could get your career on track," or like she saw it and thought that it could be a switch? Like, because I wonder, because it's just it's so many consistent missteps. At one point, do you just yeah. wonder, is it like, does she just not have great taste, or like, wh- like where does that I think come just, into effect? Yeah, what's been interesting, one of the things that I like feel like I've learned that I was very surprised about working <laughs> behind the scenes in the industry is how often the sort of like celebrity couple or celebrity relationship aspect yeah. comes up. Like, oh, can we have Maggie Gyllenhaal direct Jake Gyllenhaal on something? Right. Oh, can we have like, like, what's the vibe for? Right, right, right. The packaging like, thing. ETA, yeah. like yeah. directing Maya Rudolph. Like, what right. is this? Like, how do we make a narrative out of it? So I think like there is extra pressure from sure. the reps and the producers at large or the people writing the checks to be like, well, how do we, like, let's get the gang together. It does feel a little, I mean, just you know, quickly looking again at her at her filmography in '98, she does. Do you remember that Larry Clark movie, Another Day in Paradise, that she does with James Woods, which is kind of this 
sort of running on empty kind of vibe of this family that's on the run, the kind of a criminal thing that Larry Clark directed. Um, and then she's in the Woody Allen film Celebrity, which comes out in 98 as well, which was again, so, a, a, so is it's an ensemble. Yeah, everyone's in it, but you know, she is one of the people in it. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah and, and it's just, I really just think that she's kind of nowhere in her career yeah. a little yeah. bit. And you just have to wonder whether or not you know, this was the other thing too. Is I mean, another day in paradise and celebrity are these are these are ensembles, right? This is Melanie Griffith above the title, her face on the poster. Like this is this is the one last. Although Cecil B. Demented comes after this, but still, like well, these are the last two pushes. That was a small movie. Like this That's was true. real. This was a, a this was a case study. Can we still sell yeah. you yeah. Melanie Griffith? Right. Would you like to buy our Melanie Griffith? And I think America said no. No. But no. I'm not convinced America would have said no no matter what. Because Correct. Crazy yeah. in Alabama sounds stupid. And it is it's stupid. I thought it, I, I I knew nothing about this movie going into it. Yeah. I thought it was like more on the lines of the stupid movies we saw, like Tumbleweeds. I it seems like that kind of stupid. Anger towards it is amazing. We could we could solve the energy crisis with anger towards Tumbleweeds. <laughs> Movie. But like the poster for this movie kind of whips where it's like her and Hollywood and yeah. sunglasses or whatever, yeah. like in yeah, it's a good colors, poster. where you're like, yeah. okay, I can buy into this. It and does then, seem totally. like a romp for sure. Yeah. When it actually looks not. like a Pedro Almodovar poster. I always, yeah, I, I, I wonder really, why. <laughs> honestly, like I didn't think we were punking you guys. I always thought that like <laughs> from the beginning that this was one of the potential hidden gems. Mm-hmm. I thought... You know? I thought it was actually going to be something that I really was going to fall for. Cause like, I'm so I'm in the tank for Melanie cause of something wild. Like sure. will always be, I think sure. when you had posed earlier, that thing with Melanie Goldie and Meg is also such an interesting question. Like yeah. which one could sell more. Yeah. And I think ultimately now Meg Ryan's cachet is probably so, At I think moment, she of yeah. the three could like, Totally. Everyone but, like misses rom coms. I, I know? think it's been like that though. Yeah. Totally. No, I think totally. there's a reason Amy Schumer put Melanie put no, Hahn in a movie. Hundred yeah. percent. I think it's we're on a Meg train now. I agree. So I'd be curious if we ever get to a Melanie. But I forget where I was going. But I completely thought that this was going to be something that I yeah. would love because it's we love crime. We love road things. So this is yes. like, oh, is it going to be campy? Antonio Banderas. This relationship is so hot. We love this couple. Let's see what this movie is. And then it's just not what you want at all. Yeah. To be it's, fair, we didn't think you were, we were. Punk- no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I'm not worried about that. I do <laughs> think though, this is a real family affair movie too. You've got yeah. Dakota's Dakota first performance. Jones. Little so Dakota small. Johnson's in this. So small. Uh, Stella Banderas, his daughter is in this. Uh, Meatloaf's daughter mm-hmm. is in this. It's just like, it's a real, like you got kids, bring them on down. They'll be, they'll be <laughs> in this in some way or another. You need 10 children. It's, it's pretty, I mean, it's cute. I'm glad that like, I hope, I hope that it was a fun set to, to, to be a part of, right. but uh, it, it is interesting that like, this was shot in Louisiana. It was shot in New Orleans, Vegas, San Francisco, Los Angeles. I mean, again, this movie's pretty expensive, all things considered. You know, $15 million for this. It's a lot of location work. Um, although uh, I don't think that was the Golden Gate Bridge. But I do what? think that uh, there was some some real shady CG work going on there when she's like dangling over the side of the oh, yeah. bridge. Boy. No good. Oof, not, not great. Uh, don't do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 
it's a weird movie that I can't say I hate it, but I, I agree with Kenny's assessment, which is that I probably would have been more on board with this had the, first of all, had the civil rights storyline resolved itself in a more potent way. Um, and that it didn't just seem like the whole thing was this weird sort of twisting itself into pretzels to give mm-hmm. Lucille a win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the I, hardest part to, to stomach. About this I was just looking up, first of all, I, yeah. I, I want to fill you guys in on Please. Uh, something that happened also during this. In our previous episode on Bruno that we did <laughs> together, I asked my father if he had ever oh, seen oh, oh, it. Oh, it was development. So I asked him if he had ever seen Bruno, the movie. And yeah. he wrote back, and I had just said I would, I would recommend the movie. And he wrote mm-hmm. back, nope, good. And I wrote to my father, I wouldn't recommend it. And I said, we're doing a podcast on it, and I was interested. He responded, I'll take a look. Oh. oh. <laughs> so, so I'll report back on Oh, Bruno. my God. Please report back if you I'll want to. I'll get him on the pod. So the other thing that I That'd wanted to say that, that means nothing for nothing that I'm just, you know, Googling random shit is <laughs> I remember Melanie Griffith being so hot in Milk Money. Mm-hmm. And I she remember- She is hot in Milk Money. So hot. And she's, I remember thinking- She's a hot person. Yeah. She's, she's a total a hot, babe. hot lady. And I remember thinking that Ed Harris, uh, who plays opposite her in Milk Money, was uh-huh. uh, such a fucking old man, like a grandpa. <laughs> do, you know how, do you know how old- Grandpa Ed Harris was when he made that movie. 36. <laughs> he was 44. Yeah. yeah. He, he, has, 40 he has a face fun- weathered by time. Well, now you just saw him in, a in, wet in shoe. The Lost Daughter. And again, I love yeah, he's, this old He's man. great in The Lost Daughter. He's good. He's so good. He's one of, our, one of our funnest fucking actors. He's did amazing. You got, did you but see the thing going billion. around Twitter of him doing the um michael bay when he's doing the rock and like he keeps like trying to do where he like no. looks at the camera oh my god it's fucking amazing it's like a psm and like people in the background keep fucking up and he gets so mad at like michael bay and people it's incredible it's, right. it's incredible no, i i i, I mean this sincerely no one has ever looked better in any movie ever than ed harris of the rock it's like incredible he looks a thousand years old in milk money Two years later, he does The Rock, and all of a sudden, he is the handsomest man who's ever lived. His eyes are the color. His eyes are the color of the Pacific. Yes. Like he, yes. he's so yes. steely. His hair all of a sudden looks good. Like he just looks amazing in that movie. And I'm like, wait, the grandpa from Milk Money is now this like, like, like steely, handsome. You know, he's he's super underrated. I think like. I mean, it's easy to say this now. He's so good in Apollo 13. I think he yes. should have won for yeah. Apollo 13. He should have beaten fucking Kevin Spacey for the usual suspects. That's for what it's worth. Love this I was take. Gonna say, Love this take. 2020. I, I know it's easy to say that now. Yes. And I'm not <laughs> suggesting it's, but, but I also just feel like he's just such a fucking stable guy. So you yeah. know you're always going to get a good performance there, at Ed Harris. There is a world yeah. where Ed Harris has three Oscars. There's a yes. world where he won for Apollo 13, mm-hmm. where he won for the Truman Show, which yes. he should have won for, mm-hmm. and where he won for Pollock, which he could have yeah. won for. Yeah. There's a world where like he could have gotten that. It, like it's not a like the, the the Kevin Spacey thing was like a weird lightning in the bottle moment. 
Sure. Something just something, something just caught fire in 1995 yeah. for that oh, yeah. guy, and people just were so in the tank for him. And he had been around a little bit, obviously he was in Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, but he hadn't been a big name. Like Ed Harris had been around some like the right stuff and had a big also Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Also Glenn Gary, like, and he was awesome in that movie. He's, he's so, so good. good. He, uh, he's so good. He's so good yeah. as Moss. He oh. had kind of a he had kind of a slower burn, but he could have. He could have picked up that Ed, that, that Kevin Spacey, yeah. you know, the wave, mm-hmm. and he could have gotten those three Oscars. I think he gave three Oscar worthy performances, and I think he, I think he was the runner up three times. I, really I think he that. should have been nominated for Lost Daughter. Quite honestly, he I think could he have been yes. great in it. And I also feel like, and this kind of goes to for a bunch of people, but like Westworld, man, it's just like just eating yeah. up years yeah. of great people and just trapping them on this goddamn robot show where you're just like, I mean, I, I understand there are people that like the show. I'm not one of them, but I, I you know, when I think about locking Anthony Hopkins into a 10 month hold because it's just, first of all, what that costs, but also like holding these people, great fucking actors. Ed Harris right. has been trapped in this white, fucking cowboy whatever thing that he's in yeah it's just like my god so i i to your point i I think that that harris is a guy who we who we wait who we wasted for the past little while he lost he lost to uh in 2000 he lost to russell crowe who of course that was a makeup oscar he should have beat kevin spacey in 99 for the insider he should have that's what i'm getting i was a makeup oscar uh and you know i mean there are other yeah, the other performance that I love from 2000 is Tom Hanks and Castaway, but I would give it Ed Harris. Oh, such a good that. performance Ugh. too, though. Castaway is Castaway is a great movie. I, I mean, it's a phenomenal film. I, I mean, I, I think that Ed Harris is one of those guys that I can always just you can always count on him to be great. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm super curious if Antonio Banderas will ever direct anything again. God, like, I no. don't think so. I think the time <laughs> has come and went. It's actually well, when you were talking earlier about hot yeah. people, including Melanie Griffith, I do think what you said earlier, Jordan, too, that like they are such a hot couple. They're a hot it's, couple. It's very odd to me that this film is not a little hotter, or that it it yes. doesn't yes. treat Melanie because that's also that's the thing about Almost uh, yeah. Dark Films is that like they are very sexy, sexy. so yes. sexy. Yes. And whatever way is like in conversation with the themes of the movie, but this movie is so unsexy and it's yes. like you are yeah. directing your, yeah, your wife, wife at a period of time when you are both so desirable. It's like there's two decades of him being hot. Yes. It's like this is his hottest and then there's I mean, the second hottest, which is now. He's always the hottest. He's a hot, hot man. I, I mean, we we covered him twice in 99, Kenny, with a 13th warrior and play it to the bone. <laughs> which <laughs> Ooh. I hardly remember him in Thirteenth Warrior. I, I He's honestly, the lead. I, I know. I couldn't have. I, I, <laughs> I, in, in in one eye, out the other. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Play it to uh, the bone. Play it to the bone. I remember pretty well. And uh, yeah, he always looks good. I mean, I don't know. he it's also like, has. Did you guys ever see Original Sin, the movie no. with uh with uh, Angelina? Is that a nine? That's, I that's like, I just, like just two fucking sexy people yeah. being sexy. My favorite, my favorite genre yeah. film. Do you, Brooke, do you put him in the movie in like a bit part that she like meets this guy like on the road? <laughs> I would yes. even love if he was in like a version yeah. of the Noah Emmerich part where it's like, Ooh. great, let's yeah, have sure. them like totally. all totally. up on each other. I'm not saying that like that's the extent of what they can do, but like yes, actors yes. obviously really understand the power of like being attractive on screen yeah. and how yeah. important that like can be and how much that can do for your film. And like totally. to sort of 
lean into that, but also lean away from it at the same time. And that she's kind of like, quote unquote, ditzy and quote unquote hot, but like, it's not a sexy movie at all. Um, and, and the one sex scene is that makeout scene with Emmerich. And it's yeah, just like, it's weird. played like fucking Looney Tunes. It's yes. like, I, it's, I totally agree with you. This movie is, it has no, yeah. it's, yeah, it's got no, it's yeah. a deeply Pulseless. unsexy movie. Well, unsexy. she's a pretty unsexy character. I mean, like, that, <laughs> I, I mean, murder, pretty sexy in my opinion. Other than that, I'm totally down with murder being sexy. I agree. <laughs> Nothing is hotter than a woman who might murder me. Relatable. I feel. Uh, ask my yes. wife. <laughs> uh, but and we've we've had a rough day, and she wants to kill me so badly. It's the hottest thing I've ever. She seen. wants to. She really wants to kill you today. She wants to murder me today. Uh, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't, I can't wait to finish this podcast again. <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> but, oh my god! Every single new piece of information oh, I learned about Kenny so makes yeah. him my yep. favorite person. Can't wait to get off this podcast. <laughs> that's that's so so broke. I'm 100 with you. And Phil knows mm, yes, it's like yes, murder yes. is very sexy. Murder's but totally not. But she doesn't pull. And and and, and that that cold open is sexy. Which she, she says yep. she killed her husband. Very yep. sexy. After that, it's like she's she's like well, it sounds almost like she killed her husband by accident. Yeah, she keeps telling people cut off his head. It's in this thing. cutting off like decapitation, not sexy, not sexy, with an electric no. knife, not yeah. sexy. Especially no. if you don't own it, you gotta like yeah. lean no. into it. No, I also no. felt like Decap- not like, seeing like, the head made it worse. Agreed. Sharon <laughs> yeah. Stone. Ice pick in bed is the hottest. The hottest. That's how you want to go. Yeah. Yep. But I don't want to be dismembered after. Come (laughs) on. Have some respect. Do you like the voice? Like, how do we feel about the voiceover? Because I feel like that is such a choice. And it's so it doesn't it it doesn't pay off for anything at all, other than the dog. It's so classic book into movie type thing where it's like, oh God, we forgot that we have to give our characters inner lives. We'll just throw a voiceover on top. Do you think that means I'm sure it does mean that that the book is first? person from his point of view absolutely that is maybe the only way that the book could even retain some semblance of like being a cohesive narrative if it's all completely through his eyes that's kind of like a fun pitch it is leaning into like the mythos of this woman who like is this larger than life figure and it's really staying like in his worldview the problem is that like so much of this film is not in his worldview and the part that is is very like omnipresent it's not you know really you, you know you just pitched brooke what and i mean this as a compliment it's gonna come off like not a compliment but i mean it as a compliment <laughs> to kill a mockingbird yeah kill sure, a mockingbird sure. no i a, i feel it though it's yeah. a, it's somebody a, wants that southern movie first person narrator child everything seen through her eyes part of the movie is about this like fucking boogeyman who lives down the street which is ostensibly silly the other part of the movie is about an unjust person being I mean, you know, tried for murder and then tried for raped and then and then then killed. And they work as a book and also as a film in context because yeah. of what you just said. It is one hundred percent through the eyes of a child. Yeah. And that yeah. child is learning something. And she doesn't also go and like, you know, play fucking pickup ball with Malcolm X. So <laughs> it's which yeah. I, I, I think, mean, that I think would have been bad. Is <laughs> the worst thing I have ever seen. Uh, um, do you want to rate this, Kenny? And then we can talk about what we're doing next week. <laughs> yeah. uh, I gave it a 25 before the podcast. I'm going to stick it to 25. I think 
that's where it lives for me. Um, I think it's a zero, the Lucas Black part. I think it's a 50, the Melanie Griffith part. I think I'm being generous yeah. by giving it a 25. But uh, I, I think that, that's the movie. I, you know, I was a little more generous than you. Not much, but a little more. I came in with a 35. Um, I'm, I'm leaving with a 30. I can't really ride for this movie. Um, but the movie that we've been discussing the movie could have been could have been or could have been interesting it could have been more you know yeah. serviceable exactly um but unfortunately uh that's not the movie that we're talking about today but uh that's where i'm at what about you brooke um i'm gonna be aligned with kenny and say a 25 i think that's pretty good because there really isn't anything that i can excuse in the lucas black section and i do love a lot of the melanie griffith section but like we said the way that those are in conversation with each other doing nobody any favors anywhere and my no. love for antonio Banderas cannot help me here so 25 for me jordan i think wow look at this we're all we're all 25 yeah. <laughs> because i think that melanie griffith does i don't know if she's actually trying her best the movie's interesting the most there um sure. but anything with lucas black needs to be buried six feet under and never <laughs> come out of the ground yeah um the fact that not to be mean to lucas black but honestly this is one of the worst performances i've seen it's he's really bad. Really yeah. atrocious. Yeah, he's very good in, spl- in Sling Blade, so he deserves all the credit in the world. He for is that. very good in Sling Blade. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not uh, saying bad actor across the board. Uh, Although you have said that for, in the past, except for Sling Blade. <laughs> <laughs> he's okay. He's okay in Fast Nine because he, you know, invents a rocket ship. He does, and they go to space, oh which is fucking. It's cool. so insane. Love so insane. Do you guys um, that so, redeem? Does that redeem wanna, you, this movie? No, 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 no. Do you, do you guys want to throw it on the uh, on the queer quad? Yeah, where is this? Where does this land on the QQ? Literally one star. Yeah, one could be lower, but I'm gonna say one. There's star enough for camp. Camp, yeah. like Almodovar, trying. Yes. The yes. I will say the uh, the hat box scene where all the mannequins are like looking at her. Yeah. I was like, this yeah. is this is campy. I, yeah. Is zero the the lowest you could go, or is one the lowest you could go? What technically half a star is the lowest we, we can okay. go. And half we, star we've before. definitely given them. So and, what, and, what have we given a half star? Um, <laughs> Home Alone, but also uh, uh, Troy. <laughs> we gave Troy half a star. Right. Uh, Troy is pretty gay, though, no. isn't it? How do you guys they feel about Home Alone? Uh, perfect film. movie. We kind great. of yeah, great movie. It. Just not, oh, not oh, particularly oh, gay. Only poster I have in my office. <laughs> <laughs> Marvin and Harry are canonically gay, we, we, right? We feel that way. We kind of covered it, like decided to cover it as a joke, but then we like weirdly got two in the weeds and we were like, what have we done? You guys um, you guys know I'm, I'm filming this, this. I am straight up trying to get a Marvin Harry prequel made. I guess I have to make them gay. You, Let's, you yeah. have to. If you don't, oh what are you doing? Kenny, wait. I just figured it out. It. We just cracked it. Kenny, you're now the glad ally of the year. Congratulations. Oh, Marvin, the, the I Marvin. thought they were going to make them gay in the remake Home Sweet Home Alone. I thought they were going to do something, and they didn't. Oh, they didn't do no. anything with that. That thing was Marv yeah. and Harry fight into kissing scene is going to be so epic. <laughs> uh, uh, so real money to see. How, how did you give it? How did you give it a, a point five? Or if it's canonically, if they're canonically, I think dead. I actually gave it like a star and a half because we I gave it higher than a half star. We were like, okay. there is no way, and then we were like, maybe I don't know. It was it was a bad time. All it was around. a little sweaty, but we stand by it. Um, so what a so Kenny, you uh, <laughs> sort of referred to. 
the lead actor in the movie we're covering next week. Uh, we're covering Gloria with Sharon Stone. Yes. The remake of the... Uh, oh, my God. Why am I drawing a blank on it? Uh, Cassavetes. Nick, uh, uh, the, John Cassavetes. John, John Cassavetes. Um, remade by Sidney Lumet. Uh, I'm assuming you guys haven't seen this film. No. But I am curious... <laughs> On the, the QQ, where Sharon falls on, because there's an, she's pretty high, right? I high, baby. Very high. High. I am, we're talking about, we're, we're going to talk about Basic Instinct at some point, and I'm very excited because I think that that is actually like extremely so fascinating, like representation yes. and like yes. how she got like land based for it is so interesting. Suffice to say, extremely high. Well, in it's, many it's, areas. So I was listening to um, Blank Check just released their episode on The Quick and the Dead, which yes. is the, the oh, cowboy. Oh, can't wait to listen movie. to that. Fucking amazing movie. Yeah. Great movie. She's fucking great in it. And unfortunately, it's kind of kind of the death knell of her career in a lot of ways because it doesn't perform and Nobody she makes choices after that. has ever looked hotter on screen except that Harris and the Rock. <laughs> that, she, I mean, there's just that, she's unbelievably hot. She wears chaps and a hat and yeah. shoots and guns and comes out of fire. Yeah, yeah. she's great. She's great. But what's interesting? Cool ass fucking flick that people should be talking yes. about a hundred percent. And this year, the yeah. same both come out in '95, and Casino is sort of the moment. Young Leo, that movie's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's great. So it's great. I'm not. I'm, but the, the what I wanted to kind of highlight which i think is interesting is that she cuts her hair at a certain point mm. and from that point on it's kind of short hair kind of pixie cut I, thing i remember which i called th- her short hair sharon she didn't like that i don't i don't i don't remember that i think kenny called her that <laughs> primarily but I, I think that uh plus one gay points for that one but i but <laughs> okay, we, I, he's not an ally I, anymore is he? No, i'm gonna win a gay point right now I'm go. This is not. I'm going to the Magic Castle for a birthday party in four sure. days. That's not where I'm trying to get the gay point. Uh, <laughs> and in this but, card, but I, uh, but I looked. You, have you guys been to the Magic Castle? Yeah. I live no. extremely close to it. Oh, you, oh I've wow. never been. You, you, you want to be my plus one? My wife's out of town. I would love to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll have to tell her you're not by. Just you know, yeah, no, those, just straight. <laughs> All right, what was? How are you getting a gay point out of this? That's such a good gag. That's really funny. As you know, I <laughs> was my Borat gag. Uh, as you know, as you know, at the Magic Castle. For those of you who don't live in LA, the Magic Castle. Oh fuck. <laughs> And uh, you have to be invited, and I, I have—I'm invited to a birthday party there, which is a dream. You have to dress up for the for the yes. event. You have to wear uh, a jacket and uh, ties, but because they have a lot of magicians and magicians come in all you know all stripes, there are other options for ties. You could wear a bolo tie. You could wear nice. A, you could wear a bow tie. You could wear uh, one of those. A you know, cravat. A cro- you could wear a cravat. You could wear an ascot. You can wear anything around your neck that works. There's, but there is one thing that really caught my eye that you can wear. <laughs> and as as and as a homage, an homage to Sharon Stone at the Oscars, I bought a turtleneck. Yeah. I'm gonna wear a turtleneck under a suit. That's jacket. great. You should that do is that. 
I, an incredible I bought, choice. I bought, and I did this off Amazon, so I will lose the gay point right now. But I bought a, I bought a, I bought a turtleneck, and I bought a a red blazer, like a, like a maroon blazer. That's that fucking whips. I'm gonna there wear go. that to the Magic Castle and look better than all the magicians. Yeah, you're gonna be, you're gonna be yeah, great. you're gonna outshine them. Yeah, but on they the, might on ask the sh- me to become a magician. On the Sharon Stone side of things, I do think that the the short hair created this sort of androgyny I think that people yes. didn't really know what to yes. do with like I think of Sphere I think of like I mean Sphere's problems are far greater than Sharon Stone's haircut but I just think that she she got into this bucket and and it's it's just interesting I, I don't necessarily think that it's I don't know I just think you're, her career could have been so right much no, yeah. you're completely right. I, I think, think we did her very dirty did. as a society, yeah. and it, it hurts because she's so cool and she's so good yes. at like a huge variety of stuff, and yes. makes me a little sad. I think the, the conversation I, around like androgyny with women versus androgyny oh, with men as stars crazy. is super fascinating because you look yes. at Keanu, who is such an androgynous yes. actor, and how that gets in certain roles. But then, even like literally just within the confines of the Matrix, and then you look at Carrie Ann Moss. Who's yep. also a very androgynous actor, and what her career became. Yep. It's two very different paths. Yeah. It's just starting to be like women who look androgynous can be hot because of the gay community. See Kristen Stewart. Or- yeah, it's it is it's really interesting because I do think that like Casino should have been the skeleton key for her yeah. in terms of opening up a whole new thing. God, but unfortunately, so it feels like she gets it. she's fucking amazing and it's perfectly cast. But there, you get the impression that everyone's like, here's your Oscar nomination. You're never going to do anything else this good again. Here's a pat on the head. And 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 she just, I don't think it's helped by the choices she makes in terms of the movies she does after it. I mean, she does Last Dance, which is like a bad sort of, you know, melodrama about the death penalty. And she does like, you know, treacly kind of things that don't really work. But this is all just Gloria, to say that which I, sucks. The muse, which sucks. The muse good, isn't great. Goodbye yeah. Lover, which sucks. Like she did some, some like. She's moves. in Goodbye Lover? Yeah, you haven't watched it yet, have you? Wait, I've watched Goodbye Lover. We did the episode already. I forgot that oh, she's in it. Different movie. We did. Uh, <laughs> she's in... Goodbye Lover is the one with Patricia and, uh, Arquette. She's, I don't in, know she's in the one we didn't do, but we. But I watched it and you didn't. I can't remember. Oh yes, yeah, Simpatico. I need to watch. Horrible that. flick. Uh, yeah, she did a lot of horrible flicks, and she had short hair for all of them. And I do yeah. think she. I, I do think you guys. Are, I think oh, you come in American sex symbol. Yeah. Except if you're Halle Berry. Halle Berry's the or Kristen Stewart. Well, that's nowadays. Yes, now. nowadays yes, 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 yes. it off. Cool. Yes, yes. Halle, Halle Berry always. I totally agree with you. Kind of, you know, yes. transcendent. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's just I, I to to. to and this I was going to say when you when you got that face, but you know Sharon Stone's got that face, so you know Sharon Stone. You know, we talk about this in the Gloria episode. Um, she's a fascinating, and I agree with what you're saying, Brooke, which is that she's one of those situations where Hollywood. It's not all that dissimilar to Melanie Griffith, which is that kind of put also in this, went like, short. By the way, she went go short. Did go short, but like Melanie Griffith and Sharon Stone were both sex symbols. I think that Melanie Griffith had a little bit more of a lane in terms of being, you know, I don't want to say cuter, but there's a lighterness, a, le- a levity to her. She do rom com, right? But at the same time, I think both of them were put in a box. Both of them got a fucking shit ton of Razzie nominations because they were they were very hot women that made a whole bunch of nerds uncomfortable yeah they, they were, didn't yes. know what to do with it yep and and i think that it's just a fucking bummer because they're really talented it's very it's obvious. so just, upsetting just yeah. just 
obsess over them. They're just too hot and too cool. I yeah. think like uh, yeah, I, I gave maybe Shenstone was on the list, but there's like there is this, there's a reclamation going on right well, now. The, there's just yeah. a long list of female actresses, yes. actors, uh, dating back probably to Rita Hayworth, but you know, really starting with Marilyn Monroe, who were bigger than movies. Just yeah. Like, right. yeah. Bigger and Sharon Stone for a period of time was just bigger than movies. Yep. Absolutely, totally. totally. It's been bigger than movies, and uh, I don't know if we have some. I I I think when I mentioned this, I posited you know Kristen Stewart might be bigger than movies right now, but maybe maybe not. She she isn't quite there. I don't. Think I throw Zendaya right in there. I know she's so Zendaya young. For sure. like getting fashion, there. Yeah. social. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and yeah. I mean, like literally bigger than like the institution of movies. Like the yes. like Marilyn Monroe is just bigger than like bigger than a movie but I, yeah. I like I mean I think like Lady Gaga is kind of bigger than yeah. movies right now totally um, you know what I mean but it's this like it's this thing and they and they all burn bright they burn fast and then they you know the public turns on them yep. and and it's nasty it's the way that uh, we agree. treat like women specifically like yeah. women so yeah. like I think about Michelle Pfeiffer all the time who's like one of my favorite stars of all time and it's like so crazy the runs that she goes on and the highs and how her career is so Ridiculous. like this just depending on her age and then also the fact that she doesn't have an oscar similar to sharon stone where yeah. you're like this is a person who has put in the work yeah. for fucking decades. well michelle's been robbed on several occasions it feels so like so yeah. many times yeah. it's yeah i mean it, it is it does feel like unfortunately it's probably an honorary oscar in her future and that that's going to be how it goes but I, I i do think that that i agree with what you're saying i hope Kenny. that happens yeah. man i hope that happens i hope people can because honorary oscars don't often go to like huge beautiful movie stars it's true um, it's true it's just I, I i hope that's you know frankly you know, it's a crazy thing to say but like hope samuel jackson's oscar like opens it up to the like, more populous yeah. type of actors i agree who, you know like big star personas who may not have like gotten their due i'm amazed that michelle pfeiffer didn't get a nomination for french exit i thought that was going to happen especially in, in yeah. such a weird year and, and it just well, she should do what sam jackson does where he stands up and he's like yes i should have won for Pulp fiction you morons <laughs> she should have been like yeah i should have won for fabulous bigger boys you idiots well, I mean, Martin Landau or should have won for Ed Wood, but I know I understand where Sam Jackson's coming from. If Sam Jackson had won, I don't think anyone would have cared. Would have been like bad choice. I think it would have been like good choice. Of, of course, I'm not saying yeah. Sam Jackson didn't deserve you know, it. Doesn't deserve it. But, but, but the real, I'm just making the more real to like, Oscar, the real best performance that was not nominated and should have won is. Viper for Catwoman. Hell That's yes. It. Thank yes. you. Life changing. Thank oh my you. God. World Un- unbelievable. As you were saying, best. like higher than movies, like Michelle as Catwoman, like transcended the movie and became yes. like a moment. A moment. You know? A cultural touchdown. I, I She Why? was on, she was actually just on Jimmy Fallon That's a few weeks ago and watched, and they showed the footage yet again of her. The behind the scenes of her with the whip and the whatever so and she's just like she loves it obviously because she's like you know whatever i still love the whip and that's all great and I, I she's just she's just the shit and i love the fact that like she's still kind of shy doesn't really love doing this stuff and i, I think she's great but love this is all to say that like it is interesting you look at sharon stone you look at melanie griffith you see these sort of those careers are much different than Michelle Pfeiffer's career. Michelle Pfeiffer, totally. for good or for bad, stepped away for a while, raised her kids, you know, did made choices. But again, like, you know, Kenny, we've covered Michelle Pfeiffer 
great bus uh deep end of the ocean she's not bad in midsummer night's dream but like she's that's good, but, 99 yeah. was not a great year for michelle pfeiffer unfortunately but but again uh guys thank you so so much for coming oh, on yeah. and thank talking you thank you about crazy in alabama with us i we can't wait to have you back we can't wait to be back on your pod again i know to talk nice. about yes uh another you know perhaps gay film depending kenny, on what's the, kenny what's the third gayest movie of your ranking you know moulin rouge is the five star you have bruno, bruno. what's your third gayest what? movie you think my second gayest movie is a 3.5 <laughs> kenny what was i i feel like i sent you the list there were two there were two what was and the one, other one one was moulin rouge which i just felt like i sure. had to devour the other one yeah. i picked because it was it seemed like why is this even here what was uh, it? But I, I don't love. Remember. We love those. We love, ooh, I think we should keys. do. I think we should do like Feel the Dreams. <laughs> oh, it's just like speaking Jordan's Bull like, Durham. No, I know. Oh, Durham. oh, wait, we should do Bull Durham. Either Bull Durham's got some. Oh, yeah. Interested in doing a baseball movie? I talked. To, I could. Look, I ironically, the reason I was late to this podcast was because for the first time in like seven years, I was watching a Mets game, and they scored five runs in the ninth to win the game, and like <laughs> I, I was watching. What? There you go. I was watching it with my son. That when I came in, I go, oh, "We won." That was what him showing me the final score, and it was Hell just yeah. like it was like I've I'm like in the process of falling in love with baseball again, which I've like just slagged for the last ten years. Um, and I would do a baseball movie, but like a, consider it done. You're talking I mean, to the right person. Yeah, Jordan is. I'm so just like I feel like I mean, Bull Durham's a sexy movie. Yeah. Bull Durham. Oh. Bull Durham be really good. Bull Durham is like maybe like the sexiest baseball, baseball movie ever made because everyone is so horny in yeah, that it's, movie. It's the, the horniest, horniest movie. For sure. They're like, what if we fucked but on a baseball yeah. field? Like, <laughs> can we do that? Is that okay? My family also now lives in Durham. There's a lot of history and context. I mean, so listen. Basically, it's a great movie. Consider but if there's... Yeah, I, I mean, Kenny to- wants to think about it. I think he's 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 mulling over other potentially <laughs> more gay anything. baseball well, movies. Just let us know. It's the gayest baseball movie. <laughs> I mean, we League have already own, covered a league yeah. of their own, which I would argue is like that's the gayest. Probably, probably got so um, That again yeah. is like canonically gay. Yeah, like that's you know, I, I think uh, I think Moneyball, Moneyball, just, gay movie. Oh my god, the gayest. What I would Brad, do to Brad cover and Jonah? fucking Moneyball. We're not covering Moneyball, Jordan. <laughs> It, Moneyball gets that baseball is like the sexiest thing in the world, and the Moneyball that it just exploits it, and it's just like we're gonna make a movie about how cool and sexy baseball is. But it's about Dodgers. numbers. You're a oh no, no, Red Sox fan. Well, oh, sorry, you're Boston. Yeah, Reds. Yeah, yeah. I think. Oh yeah, I mean that movie's Billy really Bean. That movie's pretty gay for the Red Sox too. Oh, it's <laughs> so gay for the Red Sox. <laughs> Without that movie, we don't have that 04 World Series, baby. This is my nightmare. That movie, that, that movie straight up at the end is like, all right, baseball sexy, but like, the red socks are sexy. Like, oh. <laughs> that's, when I'm, that's why Field of Dreams is so good, because Field of Dreams is like, we love baseball, but have you been to fucking Fenway? <laughs> I know, I know. And like, it is true that Fenway is it's sexy. the best. It's like, the it's, fucking it's, best. It's it's sad. Like I like I, I think it's funny because like the two oldest stadiums, Fenway and Wrigley, like Fenway's sexy and Wrigley is like chased. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Wrigley's a fucking eight hundred and twenty year old virgin. 
Yeah, it has the wall. You know, it's a brick wall. It's yeah. putting up boundaries. Fenway's not fighting. Like brick wall. Monster. Also, like, also, yeah, like, you know, cover, covered in ivy. They do, they do exactly. no landscaping out there. They don't even right. care what they look like. Fenway threw the first <laughs> brick at Stonewall. Stop! This has devolved into this, madness. You single-handedly undid like probably sixty percent of our goodwill. <laughs> That's not true. We can't wait to come on and talk about gay baseball with you guys. It's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, will you tell our listeners where they can find you guys and where they can listen to your uh, podcast? Most yes, importantly, most yes. importantly. So we're on Twitter. I'm at Brooke B. Solomon. Jordan H. Gus. And we're together the pod at Queer Quadrant, and we're also on Letterboxd at Brooke B. Solomon Jordan and H. Gus. Jordan H. Gus. And uh, you can find the Queer Quadrant podcast on spotify and on apple podcasts uh wherever else you care to get your podcast listen for baseball listen for sharon stone uh i can't even <laughs> name all the topics that we talked about but we're Melanie there griffith civil uh, civil rights civil rights <laughs> <laughs> planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. More than no thrilled to have you guys on. This was a blast. Uh, it's not every day that we get to do Bruno and Crazy in Alabama back to back. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Uh, we can't wait to be back on your pod. We can't wait to have you guys back on. This was an absolute blast. Thank oh, you so we much. Feel the same. Thank, you. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. See you guys Bye. later. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, fucking against a chain link fence here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybar. And I'm Felisco. And back with us today from the Queer Quadrant are good friends and our first in-person guests in two plus years. We also have Ernie back in the... In the, in, in the flesh, it's like, it's guys, it's it's all happening. It's all happening. Uh, their names are Brooke Solomon and Jordan Gustafson. Thank you guys for coming back to our podcast. I would normally say thank you for having me. <laughs> <you. laughs> I was going to say. But I don't know if I should be thanking you no, for well, what we're know. about to go through. I, you know, it's in, first of all, it should be said just up front. We, we're pairing this episode with another episode mm-hmm. that, we, yes. that we did with Brooke and Jordan um, for, uh, for Antonio Banderas's uh <laughs> Crazy in Alabama. Only yes. the best. Only the best yes. for Brooke and Jordan. Yes, yes thank you um, so much. These two films just, you know, obviously a, a, a stellar diptych of, of things to pair next <laughs> to each other. But <laughs> but I, so I just want to put that out there. Um, we brought it up to you guys that, you know, if you want to come on for, for Body Shots, a movie that got a theatrical release, barely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 a movie that I kind of forgot. Like we, we, there's there's sort of the giant list of of ninety nine movies, which includes your straight to videos and your what have yous, right? And and not Ryan, really. What do you mean? Well, we don't really we don't work off of that. Yes, what we're yes, yes thank yes. God. Yes, and so this one was like on the cusp. Because, like, I remember this being on video, this, but I don't remember this in theaters. This wasn't on our list until, like, a couple weeks ago. Correct. This definitely was theatrically released. Correct. And Which is why we had to be done. Yeah. But for whatever reason, this is this is not listed on the Wikipedia list. This is not listed on whatever, like, <laughs> whatever, like, massive kind of repositories we yeah. pulled from. Correct. Which is not just the Wikipedia thing. It was, like, yeah. box office mojo things yeah. and, like, anything. And going down to, like, the four or five hundredths. Um, that's why we were able to do this for five years. But Body Shot's a movie that I actually do remember because, like, it did have a little bit of, like, pre-release buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say also, I mean, not to, you know, I know I've said this many times in the podcast, but this is a video store movie. This was a movie that also kind of had legs in terms of people feeling like they discovered some fucking hidden gem in Body Shots. A lot of college people renting this movie yeah. and feeling like, you know, they, they, you know, this, this edgy, edgy movie. Um, so there's that too. I also feel like you texted me this about the Sean Patrick Flannery of it all. Yeah. And him having rough like, year, <laughs> the worst <laughs> 99 yeah. of anyone. Rough like the year, inverse yeah. of, of Brendan Fraser's. Yeah. Right. Brendan Brasher over here. <laughs> Cause it's Boondock Saints, another huge video movie. Like a yes. movie that people a still call it somehow still yeah, right? and then simply irresistible a movie that Kenny good movie a very to the death very good movie <laughs> and it it's really weird just to, also in that movie I'm not gonna like uh, give too much away because as I've yeah. said I want to hear what you guys have to say before mm-hmm. I, I dive Defend in it? yeah but weirdly enough yes. It's Boondock Saints and it's simply irresistible that inform my in, my opinion of this film, and it has nothing to do with Sean Patrick Flannery. Every t- every time you say a new thing about your opinion on this movie, I get more and more. <laughs> getting nervous, curious, scared, apprehensive. Hey, that's my goal. My goal is to that's freak y'all out. That's yeah, how, that's how I mean, I I think I understand. Uh, no, go, please, I please. I feel like I understand that. Like I, I I know where where the where the Nybart perspective is coming. from. <laughs> Find that hard to believe. It's not that. It's not that. Okay. It's it's actually not that high minded. It's, it's oh that I I <laughs> this is not a high minded movie. So no, it's, no, it's, like, it, it's very it, esoteric. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with. Um, it has almost nothing to do with the with the, the movie. Mm, mm-hmm. It has to do with something very simple. Very simple. Okay. Um, and I'm giving it away a little bit, and I wanted to like. Yeah, no, I'm just going to be... Just get it out there. Just going to be straight up here. Yes. Uh, Boondark Saints is directed by Troy Duffy, a total idiot, uh, you know, borderline problematic uh, moron Mm -hmm. who never had anything uh, that made me give him the benefit of that outside of the fact that he is ostensibly an artist and I give all artists benefits of the doubt, but he lost it pretty quickly uh, with the content of that movie. Simply uh-huh. Irresistible is the opposite. Simply Irresistible, I don't remember the director's name. Mark Tarvlov. Mark Tarvlov, of who, course. Who obviously went on to huge success. Mark, Mark Tarvlov was John Waters's producing correct, partner for correct. years and years and years. So coming from the mm-hmm. school of John Waters, sure. you have to at least entertain the idea 
that some of what he's doing in Simply Irresistible is intentional. intentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you start to go down that road with Simply Irresistible, which is a completely bonkers movie, mm-hmm. there is a at least another layer that you have to view it through before declaring this as a disaster. I think this falls into the latter category. And the reason I'll say that is the director, Mark Christopher, mm-hmm. Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. Correct. Tony Award winning playwright. The director of this film, uh, the Screen, writer of this Screenwriter of, of, of uh, Witches of Eastwood. Witches of Eastwood. Good one of the Vanities. Film. Not a, not a, uh, not a non-artist. Uh, David McKenna, uh, writer of American History X. Mm-hmm. Also a movie that leads you kind of down the wrong road before yeah. bringing you back to what I think is the right road. So at least given those, given their, um, their, their oeuvres. Sure. I think you have to at least give this movie the benefit of the doubt that it's not what it appears to be for the first half. And I don't think it is what it is. I will get into that argument later. I think it's significantly better than uh, than, than, I, than, I, than I think one might think on first <laughs> I, on first I think that my, my gut reaction to what you're saying is that you know the 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 road to hell is paved with the best of intentions. Yeah. I, I think that I think that you're not wrong that that there are some intellectual notions coursing through this film and and trying to do things. Uh, I just think it fails at doing. Let's it. talk about. I, it. I think trying is yes. the, the key. Yes. Let's word. talk mm-hmm. about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. I mean, I just like to say, like, I'll go for a ride on your jelly roll, but I won't give you nothing from my soul. I mean, it's a really, really smart way to open a film. It makes you think. It does. It really, you know, lays out its schemes. (laughs) No, but I actually do understand where you're coming from, though. You know, thank you. appreciate that. I I, I want to note, Jordan, that I texted you all that, that I texted you that that opening thing. As a premature strike against this film, which I thought was a joke and stupid. Mm-hmm. So I do think out of context, which is the the way in which I texted you that, it is really, really stupid and embarrassing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you just read. I think mm-hmm. in context. <laughs> oh my God, you're going to defend this? It's not even a matter of that. Wow. It's really just like, there's an argument in this movie. Uh-huh. It may not ultimately an argument that, it may not ultimately be an argument that has aged well. I would but say it, it has not. Well, yeah. bear with me. But it is an argument. And I think there is... Well, I, I, <laughs> it is an argument. You're arguing Cannot that deny that. This film has artistic integrity simply because it attempts to make a point. As opposed to having no point at all? <laughs> no. First of all, first of all, first of all. First of all, yes, kind of. Second of all, <laughs> having seen so many movies that don't attempt to make a point. Correct. Secondly, I think this movie makes it a little more deftly than a lot of other movies. And third, I think that what's kind of critical about this film, Body Shots, starring Tara Reid and Jerry O'Connell, mm-hmm. is that it doesn't answer its own questions. So we can have this discussion at the end of the film. Whereas that I agree with. so many films today... And this is a big problem. Are afraid of the conversation we're about to have about it, which is what is he saying? What does he mean? Where does he come down? Uh, what is being kind of communicated mm-hmm. by the visions and wor- by the visuals and, and and words set on the screen? And God forbid you should think we're saying the quote unquote wrong thing, because I sure. don't think. I think the reason that it hasn't aged well, in part, is because he doesn't answer his own question. And I'll tell you what I think the answer is. The answer is, is promiscuous sex a societal ill? 
I think that's what he's getting at here. Is promiscuous, nameless sex ultimately something that leads to more um, problems than than solutions? And that that is definitely not sex positive. That is definitely like kind of a you know a problem notion in society. But I will say he lays out this case throughout the film in a really interesting way. That's all. And 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 in a way that I don't think is as anti-progressive as it seems. Like it's all the 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 Ron Livingston character, the Jerry O'Connell character, Sean Patrick Flannery to some extent, and the other guy who kind of is essentially the moral compass of the film, the guy who doesn't really mm-hmm. Brad Rowe. Who yeah. Oh, uh, who doesn't really have, have much a of a career after this. Yeah. Um <laughs> well a lot of them don't have characters. I'm not saying it's great. I didn't give it like a hundred, but I am saying like <laughs> you did give it a ninety nine. I gave it a ninety nine. These guys are uh are all garbage and they are all manipulative and they are all objectifiers and they Mm -hmm. are all got this is to me like i genuinely believe this is the anti-american pie which which champions the notion that no offense but women are just there to lose your virginity to that it doesn't matter who you lose your virginity Mm -hmm. to all that matters is that it happens which is actually a societal ill I don't. I don't disagree with anything you're saying necessarily. I. I, I just so much of what you're saying is so execution dependent, and and, yeah. and this film executes these ideas so poorly. I don't. That, that I obviously gets, don't think so. Got, I, got across to me. Well, get okay, but getting it across and actually, I, I think that from a storytelling perspective, let's do it. Let's it's, get into it's it. Not, it's not. It's. I want to do just the, the synopsis very quickly, yeah. just and get this mm. out of the way. Uh, the Los Angeles club scene is a place of bu- booze-filled decadence and debauchery, a night of full of possibilities. Eight twenty-somethings take to the clubs, seeking good times, companionship, and maybe a little sex. But in the harsh light of the morning after, their worlds are thrown into a spin of confusion when hungover Sarah, played by Tara Reid, accuses hard-partying Mike, played by Jerry O'Connell, of date rape. Loyalties are tested as each among them is forced to take sides. Body Shots uh, was released on October 18th, 1999, against The Best Man, Double Jeopardy, Fight Club, and Bringing Out the Dead. I would go on to make uh, a little over $750,000. It's not that bad. It's got 11% 11 on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 27% from audiences. Got to read a little bit of Roger Ebert's review here, which is not great. Uh, He gave the film two stars, said Body Shot suffers from a fatal misapprehension. It thinks it's about date rape when actually it's about alcoholism. That's why the ending is inconclusive and unsatisfying. Not only does it fail to find answers... Uh, but they would be to the wrong questions. Body Shots means well and has some pointed dialogue about legal pitfalls, but it's clueless about its real subject. My own theory of date rape is that mm-hmm. if you think you had sex and you didn't want to, but you're not sure why or how or if it happened, it's probably a good idea to call AA before you call the cops. I want to make I want to make a point right here. I want to make a point with this Ebert review. Mm-hmm. Ebert's review is problematic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ebert's review is Misread a, the film is a willful 100%. misunderstanding yes. of what yes. was happening in the film and projecting his own, you know, yes. probably like his own like uh, parochial, se- parochial sentiments onto this film yeah. mm-hmm. in a yeah. way that like, yeah, I actually do think it is a little bit about alcoholism, not in the way he's talking about, but it is mostly about male manipulation. Yes. Like, it, it is mostly a condemnation. And just terrible gender roles and, like, all of these various yeah. well, sort of, like, preconceived notions. It's societal gender who's roles. Who's putting yeah, the yes, people yes, in the yes, gender roles, yes, right? Yes, yes. So it's mostly this idea that, like, as we joked in the beginning, fucking against the, against the chain link fence is a reasonable thing to do 
it, it like in 1999. And by the way, like it was kind of like the thing. I'm not saying it was in real life, but like, yeah, yeah I think we probably well, in a film, I think, in, a, in, a, I in mean, real life. Right. I think we probably all know people who in real life have had sex. Oh, for sure. Outside in semi-public places. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, Say it in the movie as like a proper kink, whatever. Like preference, yeah. it's, it's a thing. It's not that in and of itself. Like, isn't really a problem. It is this idea that I my sense is immediately after that scene is she didn't want to do this. Like, and there's this really I bad mean, her, notion. Yeah, I, there's this bad notion of consent the whole time because Jerry O'Connell keeps giving this idea of like she didn't say no, she didn't say no. That was 1999's version of consent. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It, it was you have to be. You have to you you have to declare no, right? As opposed to declaring yes, yeah. And that's a really interesting thing too. That I think they understood that in the context of this film. That's I think that I mean I think that one of my issues with this film is is how straight to video nineteen ninety nine it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's you know lots of you know post production slow mo shit that looks like garbage. Disastrous. Lots of. Uh, Kenny, I understand that there's there's ideas here. I'm not disputing the ideas that the film might very well be trying to get across. But if you're if you're if you're depicting it in such a way, you're diffusing any of the power of your arguments, which is what I think where we're coming down. At least, what does that mean? What does that mean if you're depicting it in such a way? I think it's like execution dependent. Like I think that what you're saying, like there are definitely those themes here. I mean, I think there's sort of a where when Harry met Sally kind of thing here, looking at like how women and men like cisgendered examine sex and like their POVs on it at the time. Of course, this is very like, broad stroke etc but like what they're saying and like each character then talking about like how they've used sex versus like relationships where like one person's like having sex in a foreign country doesn't count as sex but like a kiss from someone you love does you know things like that so like it's examining sex and like desire and pleasure through different lenses which i think can be super interesting and it is looking at like toxic masculinity and like the ways in which men try to like brag to show how much like they're good at fucking like the guy talking about like how he jacks off by the gallons but so bad like those things can work in context but i just think like the filmmaking prowess and like the talent on screen was not maybe up to the challenge of the material or at least like the material wasn't wholly suited for proper execution like you just like you can see how it could be something working but it just doesn't reach that point is that really the viewpoint of this of this room the viewpoint of this room is you could see it could how it could be working but you just feel like it was execution it was no i've 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 okay because that's my my sense was you guys think this movie is just a sucky joke and now there is a bit of a there is I a bit of retrofitting of this idea of, okay. Well, you, I also do think that. it's bad. Okay, so let's talk about that. Well, but I, I do. Because I'm not going to defend the execution. I don't, like, the fact that, like, when I, you made the face, when I made the face, when you said that is, yeah, we've seen so many movies do things poorly like that. We all watched a movie we are crazy about called Moulin Rouge that we all mm. gave, like, 99s, and we all criticized some of the, you know, some of the the very in the moment mm-hmm. directorial choices that didn't take away from our love of the film because ultimately movies are about feelings and uh and emotions and you can overcome some limitations of the time so yes but like when i was ready to make fun of this movie because i thought i was going to make fun of this movie for a long time mm-hmm. i was putting down all the things i think are stupid right like i think like 
the obsession with Dutch angles is stupid. I think the you know the poorly you know the the, the overlit club and an underpopulated thing is stupid. Mm-hmm. I thought the fight between Jeremy McConnell and the random bodyguard was stupid, disastrous. It's actually it's actually wonderful, but like I thought it was stupid in the moment. <laughs> I thought there are so many stupid things going on, but now in retrospect, in totality, this is what I mean. Like you do, I think, have to start to reframe your idea of what's going on uh, as a as a way to view the piece as a whole. But see, this is, I, I, again, this just might be how you and I just view film differently. It's possible. So I, I g- genuinely say that, and it's not to, to, to denigrate what you're saying, but from my perspective, you can have all the best ideas in the world if it's executed badly by, you know, poorly directed on, on most levels. It, it ultimately hurts your argument. It makes yeah. anything you're trying to say problematic. Because, and again, like I'm not saying that 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 there isn't a lot of perhaps interesting ideas in this film. I think there are. I just don't think that if you can't execute those ideas and convey those ideas well, it doesn't what matter. What do you think has, wasn't executed well because they had some wonky? Uh, camera effects. No, 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 the, no. I'm I talking about. So, the, I'm, I'm so let's talk about. That's what I'm interested in. What was actually executed poorly? Acting. I, I, the acting, the acting is, was not is, great. It's bad. I, I think the the what the message itself gets very corrupted as a result of a combination of poorly executed like elements of filmmaking, yeah. directing, writing, mm-hmm. acting, cinematography. cinematography. I think in particular the writing is like entirely not up to the challenge of trying to tackle something that like has always been a little bit of a hot button issue mm-hmm. and like continues to evolve like knowing that this is not something that's going to be magically solved mm-hmm. in two years by 2001 we're all going to be so happy about the state of sex and gender roles in the world like to have a script that's this thrown together with like extremely broad stroke characters like and then yeah, not executing on the technical level. Like I think, I think the combination is what's really the killer. Mm-hmm. And also, like with all due respect, <laughs> what are some examples? Like just I can uh, talk about. Talk I mean, about, I can, I can talk about the movie. It, like, I think it's like line delivery too dependent. Like or like things like that. Like I think Jerry O'Connell look however we feel about him like when he talks about like putting Alka-Seltzer on his dick and like pretending it's a that condom Livingston, but yeah. oh sorry either one but like there's a way in which you can do that tongue in cheek and it's like effective but it doesn't feel in there like it feels like they almost believe it Th- this is where here's, we disagree here's a huge problem for me going off of that and I think it touches on characters and acting and writing all at the same mm-hmm. time the I get that in theory this is a movie about toxic masculinity and all that super fun stuff but the female characters are so underdeveloped Mm -hmm. in contrast to the men because men quote-unquote talk about sex more really the only time that we hear the female perspective on sex aside from that if you have sex in a foreign country it doesn't count which doesn't have anything to do with anything in the context of that scene is when they're playing off what the men are saying in that Ron Livingston yeah. getting a little kinky, sexy. And the only time that we hear about, oh, did you know that the male prostate is actually like the female G-spot is it, as a response to like what Ron Livingston is saying. Yeah. There's, It's not a proper dialogue. It's just like very one-sided. Why does it have to be a proper dialogue? Because there's no, I think... Balance? Re- to actually find Why does yes. a movie have to be balanced because in order to talk about 
this issue regardless of if you're coming down on one side of it, if you're not coming down on one side of it, by trying to have this ambiguous ending and really looking at like how the situation could actually unfold from different perspectives, you actually need to have different perspectives. I I hear what you're saying and respectfully, like I don't disagree with that point in totality, like globally, but I think this came up on the Benjamin Malkovich podcast Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. And this is how I feel pretty strongly right now in general. Um, in being John Malkovich, for a moment, Lottie self-identifies as a trans man. Um, Lottie doesn't ultimately become a trans man. And there is some, or does it ultimately transition? Who knows what the intention with this character is? She ends the movie as a cis female, and we don't know if she transitions down the road. Um there is some discussion in that film about, well, is this poor trans representation? Is it poor trans representation to have a person declare that they're trans and then never transition? Is it done for a joke? Is it done as a, you know, is, is it is it Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones dipping their toe in the water in 1999 and taking it out as soon as it got too hot? What's going on there? And my feeling about this moment, which I said on the podcast and which I, I believe pretty strongly is, well, Charlie Kaufman in particular, and probably Spike Jones, but Charlie Kaufman in particular, as far as I know about this person and everything he's done, has a very specific viewpoint of his own body, which is, it sucks, right? It sucks. Like, I hate being Maybe in this body. Maybe no one hates being a human more than like, Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. I think he, he hates the vessel he's I, in, that's right. Sure. That's what I really think it is with him. We don't have to be a BNJ Malkovich thing, but I think he genuinely hates the vessel. Yes. And I think part of that is because he always has these doubles in, the, in these movies yeah. where the vessel's better. Right. You know? Yes. Um, the vessel is always better than him. <laughs> so it's like, in, you know, Synecdoche, in Synecdoche, it's like Paul Giamatti, then he casts like, you know, he cast the killer from fucking uh, the Tooth Fairy. Mm-hmm. As, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Who's that guy? He's a giant. He cast a literal giant. Yes, yes, yes. So like he he hates his body. Uh-huh. I think in and I, as I said on the pod, I think in the over the course of Charlie Kaufman's life, he's considered maybe the problem with my body is that it's a male body, not mm. a female body. Mm. And I think that's what he was unpacking with Lottie. But he cannot possibly go all the way to what it's like to be a trans man because he's not a trans man. My argument about this movie is, yeah, it would be great. Not even it would be great. It's a different movie that is more balanced. It's probably more of a TV show. It's something that's made more in concert with more people, more different ideas. But I think what Michael Christopher and David McKenna in particular are dealing with is, I think David McKenna, if you look at his filmography, is dealing with, God, my friends fucking suck. Mm. That's what it seems like to me. My friends fucking suck. I hate going out with these guys. I hate this weird pursuit of women in a very awkward and uncomfortable way. And I do think like there's this line that gets you know said in the movie that sex without love is violence. I think that's his feeling, which is like there's something really weird and ugly going on among us, us, us straight bros. And that's what I want to put out there. So in my argument, it's like I don't think movies require balance. I don't think any movie is balanced or can be balanced. I don't think you need to show the other perspective in an equivalent way. I do think that like the perspective of these guys in particular is that women are objects. And I think that's obviously gross and nasty, but I think it was wildly prevalent at this point of view, at this point in time. Oh, dad. And I think that mm-hmm. this, and I, yeah. of course. And but But what wasn't prevalent was this idea that, Artists should have to contort themselves 
into presenting something that they don't fully understand, as opposed to bringing in other people who may understand that perspective more and collaborating. But this is this is way more of a TV idea than it is a I, I think like, a, a film a cinematic auteurist idea. I like I see I totally see what you're saying. I think it's sort of like an execute again. I think it's like an execution dependent in like how the movie is specifically like structuring itself and like in terms of balance because it goes out to be like a semi doc or at least like with the cameras breaking the fourth wall and like talking to the audience. It gives you a sense of like, okay, we're seeing everybody's perspective. It sets it up like these are your, you know, main six or however many characters, right? And like we're going to learn about like every one of them, how they view sex and like what is their backstory. But like outside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And so, well, like, that's a problem. They're a little like, different, but they're all the specificity. Yeah. And, like, because it, it sets out from the beginning to be like, here are all our characters, and, like, we are going to have them talk to you and tell you what they think. It, like, gives you immediately in your brain, you're like, these are the characters that we're going to learn all about throughout this. But then over the course of it, like, you mostly get, like, yeah. the perspective of, like, kind of like two guys, it, you know? And, like, it shunts a lot of, like, the women to the side and like they have very tertiary like impact on the plot mm-hmm. and things like that so you do feel the unbalanced where because the movie sets itself up in the front half to be like we're going to give you all this balance of all you're the characters not sure what you're supposed to invest in which is also yeah. kind of part of the problem like i know that that this the, the relationship between rick and jane seems to be the one that we're supposed to be in theory which which the, bookends the movie most boring characters they really are boring they are, and, and there, there's no chemistry between the two of them like, yeah. it's 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 not great are so, they the ones who end up on the bed yes that's the ones the, that they're, start they're on the bed the and end on the bed that's the best scene in the movie is like the when they're scene. cuddling yeah. on the bed in their and clothes i was like oh that is romantic guys guys 30 seconds okay i wait that's amazing all right that's one scene so yes i think that it ends on a good note but it's amazing as jordan said the illusion it gives the film gives the illusion of balance without actually like them following through on it Mm -hmm. and also i would argue if this is a movie about like damn my friends suck and i don't like going out with them it's just 90 minutes of setup with Mm -hmm. like absolutely no arc which i think like that is such a crucial core aspect of any piece of filmmaking like you start the movie being like, damn, these guys seem really shitty. And then by the end of the movie, you're like, wow, those guys are really shitty. shitty. Like, I mean, what did we learn? There's a, there's a, there's a big difference here. I have a question I want to pose. Has everyone here seen Barbarian? No, no, no. Say nothing. I will not say anything. This is the bit. There's a, oh, sorry. No, but like what I'll say is like, I think there's a way in which like characters don't have to go through. This is like not related, but like on your point, like the characters start out and they don't learn anything. And you think that like Jerry O'Connell might have some sort of come to Jesus moment. And there's not that like his friend doesn't really like him in the beginning and like doesn't really like him in the end. Like there isn't like a realization of like, oh, they suck or like, oh, they're worse and I'm going to leave my friends behind. It kind of ends just like. Well, well, there's a hung jury, and I guess I'm a hung friend, you know? It should be said, too. I, I agree with what you're saying, but it, I'm not saying that you have to do that, just to be right. clear. Like, no, totally. I don't think a good movie is dictated by whether or not a character grows or changes. 100%. I think that you can buck that trend. And I also think that you don't necessarily have to resolve this this thing that happens agree, between agree. Mike and Sarah. I like that it's I like resolved. that it's involved, yeah. sort of, although then we have a whole trial that's off camera. Yeah. Sure. And then told to us. But, but I'm just I'm speaking of of whether or not there's any sort of conclusion to this to this specific uh, crime or if it's a crime or whatever the case. I'm fine with it being ambiguous. I'm just saying that you run the risk 
of not satisfying your audience to some degree by doing that. That's there's okay. a way of doing that, and that's okay. And and there's lots of movies we, we, we will inevitably talk about Magnolia, and that's that's a movie that ends in a way that a lot of people found at the time satisfying and unsatisfying, and whatever. We'll have that discussion when we talk about it. I don't I don't have a problem with ambiguous endings, and I don't necessarily have a problem with amb- an ambiguous ending on this film in particular. I do think though. Because of all the other things we're talking about in terms of these characters not being necessarily well drawn, it just amplifies what can be an unsatisfying narrative and I think puts you in that position. Yeah. All right. So I think where we're kind of, I don't know if we're missing each other, but I want to make this kind of clear. To me, this movie is not about whether or not a guy raped a girl, right? Like, it's just not. Like, that has almost nothing to do with it. What this it's m- actually about alcoholism. It's actually about alcoholism. Uh, it's I, I think what I think, and, and then I and, and then to your point, Brooke, and Ken, there's a great tradition I think in films, um, so many movies that we love, of the change actually coming in the form of the perspective of the viewer, the form of the perspective of the camera. Sure. Right. Goodfellas is a classic example. Where through half of this movie, it looks great. The characters don't change. The filmmaking changes. We realize, oh, this sucks. Some of the aspects. Fight Club is another example. Where for half of this, so many many of the quote-unquote best movies, right? (laughs) So many of the quote-unquote best movies are... And and these are all movies that, like, frankly, we have to, you know, grapple with. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my friends Jordan and Manny, like, have, like, a big issue with these movies. Because their their argument is, like, oh, no, the first half of that movie actually is, like, the movie. Like, that's the sensory memory, memory of these movies. And they're selling you on this, like, this, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street life is incredible. The gangster life is incredible. Like, you can't divorce that from the films. I don't feel that way. I feel like you have to show the good in order to kind of, you know... You, you know, yeah. dissected, and, and I think that's what they're doing in this film, right? I think this film, and particularly in 1999, and per- particularly the same year where American Pie came out, particularly in the same era where, like, losing your virginity or fucking a chick or, you know, porn culture and internet culture and all of these, like, you know, th- this, this fucking Girls Gone Wild shit was so prevalent to have that be... And, and the name, what a provocative name, Body Shots, right? The most sexual thing you could do in public, right? That was like publicly allowed as a body, mm-hmm. a body shot, right? The uh, And then the double meaning, obviously. To have all of these things happen in the first part of the movie in a way that seems like it's celebrating it. And then to have this truly horrifying thing where this character from, weirdly enough, American Pie, comes back beaten up, right? Like bloody. Like, we see enough of that to know, like, whether it was a rape or whether it was really rough sex. Like, this was not a a rape in the classic sense, I mean. Like, where she really was, like, you know, unaware of what was happening. Or whether he, you know, pushed things beyond the level of what she was comfortable with. Like, clearly, she was, like, abused in this moment. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not played for fun. That's not played for laughs. That's presented as just an extension of what happens in this in this scenario in 1999, particularly with like an aggro dude, very strong, gets in fights with bouncers and beats them in front of other people. Like these, and, and doesn't get arrested and nothing happens to him, a celebrity, a football player, in the wake of things like Ray Carruth killing his wife. Like this is like, to me, this is just like, 
almost self-evident that this that they that they are damning the shit out of the moment in time and hating what is happening. Now, like I the thing I think where where we differ, and maybe I've convinced you guys a little bit, I hope, is like I find this shit to be so like powerful in 1999. I, we've seen so many movies and TV shows from like things like that were huge at the time, like American Pie, to things that like people never really, you know, took down or really looked at closely, like Freaks and Geeks, <laughs> that like that that you know kind of viewed women as people to conquer sexually and didn't view them as real characters. Where something like this, where they're where we're yes, it's very to me, it's like laser pro focused on the male perspective. But it's laser focused in a way that's like, no, this is the problem over here. I think we have to think about like audiences, though, too, if we're talking about like in 1999. I think like where I have a little bit of an issue with the movie is sort of its tonal balance because you start out with this, obviously, this insane quote. But then you cut to like 4.37 a.m. Tara Reid's been attacked. We have like this whole setup of like what's happened. But then we jump back in time to, you know, the partying and the fun. And the movie it feels like it's pitched at trying to make you enjoy and like laugh, even though like, you now have in the back of your mind, the tonal shift that will come. And I think that like, it would have been more powerful if it started out with the fun. And then you cut to the tonal shift, sort of like a something wild type situation or like where the movie like is like, Oh, the, as we were talking about Goodfellas, where like you realize, Oh, this fun we were having is bad because this movie, the, Goodfellas starts with a guy get shot in, well, in, the, in, in the trunk of a car. Like Goodfellas is going to be my counter. I, okay, I get you, but you know what I'm saying. Where it's like it feels like if you're a, I don't know, if the the men that this movie is sort of trying to lampoon who would see this movie, I think that they would like relate and maybe not like they would think it's funny it's and the, like not actually like see the critique of it. You know what I mean? The fight Club issue, right? Right. Like it's 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 a it's a red flag of a certain type of person likes Fight Club. Like that. And that's not. A, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't want to hold it against the film because I, I do think that. I mean, we've talked about this a lot in '99 in terms of and and listen, Wolf of Wall Street was dinged with this as well. Yeah. People being right. like, "Is this really? It's effectively. It's, it's a hard argument to make that these are to me that these are good. You know, like I'm getting to the point where I'm like. Thinking about Wolf of Wall Street in particular, being like, no, they actually do make that look fucking great. Like that actually, and and like it even ends I, I with him like leading the fucking charge. Like that's one that I have a little like from a moral perspective, a little harder time with. Even though like I love the experience of that film. Well, I do think I do think that, I, I think there are consequences to to, to Jordan's mm-hmm. arc and, and whether or not yeah, he, it hits he, hard he enough. He wrote a book. It got optioned to Martin Scorsese. Made the movie. Well, I mean, what a nightmare. I, I don't think that that. I think it's the. <laughs> I know what, I, I understand your point, but like to say that that he didn't have any consequences to his well, actions, I think, did, is, did. I think is glib. But I think that ultimately, uh, this film, I think tonally, to, to your point, Jordan, uh, struggles as well with with the acting. I mean, yes. and, and with and with executing these these roles. The only character or the only person I think that gets out of this movie unscathed is Amanda Peet. Yeah. I think Amanda yeah. Peet's a great actor who's always a great actor no matter what she's in. She comes out of uh, uh, Simply Irresistible also unscathed. So, Well, she's a little more scathed in that one. But, but I just mean in the sense she that told, like, yeah, she, she knows what movie she's in, I guess is what I'm getting at. I agree with that. Um, and I think she kind of always knows what she's in. Mm-hmm. And she's very good in this film. I think that the role is a little underwritten, but she's She's elevating the writing in her performance. If across the board, this had been cast with actors of Amanda Peet's caliber, I don't think that I'm I'm hating on this film as hard as I am. I think that so much of this becomes so much more palatable when 
the characters all pop in certain ways. The mm-hmm. problem is that it's cast so homogeneously that what you're left with, and again, this might have been intentional. I don't fucking know. I mean, maybe he wanted a bunch of flat bros to play these guys. And that was the goal, and he succeeded in doing so. But in the process, I'm left with not caring about any of them. And again, I, maybe that is the goal. I mean, if the thesis statement was being a 20-something in L.A. right now is fucking hideous, and these people are all terrible, and they do terrible things, and you shouldn't like any of them, then the movie is very successful in doing that, um, in my opinion. I don't leave the film caring about any of them. I don't leave the film wanting to spend any time with any of them. Um, and then it's a success. I right. think but I start the film in that way, too. Like, that—that oh, that is... Even if your characters are not growing and changing, and I agree with what you said earlier, Phil, that's not a prerequisite of, like... You Absolutely. Can, yeah. Like, you can film as... So why art. do you... Why do you sorry, but we, But we, as the audience, also don't come away with anything. I don't feel like this movie had any sort of effect on me other than wishing that I had an hour and 45 so minutes of my that's, life back. So that's the... the, the, the the argument I'm interested in. Can I also like, just, I, I want to piggyback and, and yeah. on, on what Brooke is saying, because I think that, you know, we were talking briefly about the last scene of the film. That's what I was going to go. And I think that the last scene of the film, which is the best scene of the film, uh, ultimately, Rick and Jane, we think that they're getting together. We think that they're, that they're finding a bridge. There is the one of the worst needle drops of 1999 of some maudlin yep. fucking emo song yep. playing while they're, while we think that, and again, Maybe intentional, right? Because, like, where the scene goes, it, it feels as though maybe it's a commentary on, like, you think you're getting a happy ending here, but fuck you, you're not getting a happy ending because these two people clearly have been fucked up by what's transpired over the last 24 to 48 right. hours yep. and that they can't be together anymore. Uh, and we're left in this sort of melancholy, maudlin sort of sad moment of them lying there on this bed. It's a nice image. It It raises ideas and it leaves you in a place uh, that is legitimately interesting and yet also emotionally uh, depressed. Like it leaves you in just such an odd place to want to leave you for the film. And again, I think that's all intentional. And I think that leaving that, that being the last scene of the film is perhaps the most powerful thing they could do under the circumstances. Um, but I also feel as though the preceding hour and 40 minutes or however much is just sort of, I don't know, not not particularly effective. Yeah. Go, going back to, I mean, I feel like what sort of like the base argument for us, the haters, is, is that maybe we would care more about what this film was trying to tackle if it was a better made film. But because, in my opinion, it's very poorly made it's there's not enough to bridge that gap between what you think it might have if it had lofty intentions mm-hmm. and what we actually ended up seeing. I think screen. it did have lofty intentions. Like yes, listen to what Kenny is saying. Definitely. I, I I genuinely do think that uh you have changed my opinion in terms of opening well, and, and, and I and I don't I mean, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. You'll still hear my <laughs> score at the end, but I do think that, you know, you have shined a light on stuff that um, I couldn't see. And that's not to say that uh, just that, that the, sometimes it's the, it's the medium, not the message, right? Mm-hmm. And the medium here is fucking rough. So I, you're having a tough time seeing yeah, the message. It's, it's callous to be like, yeah. if you didn't do it well, like, does anyone actually care? But like, sometimes, that, sometimes, sometimes that's it's the case. true. Well, I, I, I can appreciate where you guys are coming from. 
But I also think that's why we do this podcast. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Right? We do this podcast because my sense is so much of film criticism is people watching a movie and then assuming that they have taken in the entire film and everything that, that you know, is intended by it and then publishing something about it and then never changing. Um, my, I, I, I think like in full disclosure, I read a bunch of uh, reviews of this film, everything I could find because I wanted to see if anybody validated my opinion. And there's one guy in the San Francisco Chronicle who kind of did. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't Mick LaSalle. It was somebody else. Um, so this isn't entirely like from me. Like this is like there was one guy who, who validated this opinion. But I do think that it's, you know, to me, critical to strip away the things that are interchangeable. Like not interchangeable, the 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 movable parts, particularly acting, cinematography, things that come after the script and the hiring of the director, and look at the you know the, the core of this film. And it's like what I was again with being John Malkovich. The reason I think being John Malkovich remains a classic and is successful, The Matrix remains a classic and is, and is successful, and a movie like American Beauty doesn't, because American Beauty is almost perfect in all the technical aspects of that film. Right, the acting is incredible. I watched that movie. I, I, if I watched it today, I would still be like a net bending, like spectacular. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I think it's beautifully shot. I think the score, like, it was the first time to do that Sylvester thing, um, so beautiful, so beautifully, and so like perfectly in that moment. Was it Sylvester? It was Warner. Thomas Newman. Thomas Newman. Who cares who it was? Uh, that Thomas Newman thing. <laughs> but it really, it really plays. It really, really works well on a technical level, and I think that's kind of what you know carry people you strip that all away and you get a really cut to me but i don't disagree with what you're saying but i also just want to because I, I do think and i i think i i you a know movie's ideas going. a movie's script a movie what it's trying to say is not on par with the execution of it right i'm not sitting yes, here saying it's more important i'm yeah that's, what, that's my point yes right I, I, I think that the ideas of a film uh i are far more important. I think that, you know, we're all writers here, so obviously we all think that scripts are, are, are obviously the most important part, but I do think that genuinely they are, right? I'm not sitting here saying that uh, that's not the case. What I am saying, though, is that the other stuff you're talking about, if not done properly, is going to hurt. I totally understand. What you're I totally, to of course, I understand. I that's where you're coming from. I also think the script sucks. I was going to say, not to be <laughs> bullish on this, but the script is bad. I think the dialogue is like, borderline like hard to sit through at times like <laughs> hold on hold on hold on let me, let me finish my point let me finish my point i totally agree with you phil that there are movies where the execution is such a barrier to even you know get into any intended meat like most of these movie. films <laughs> most of these films yes like the omega code sure don't have anything to say aside from and like they suck in terms of execution and they always they generally to me yes. Great artists uh, who are incapable of executing on their vision, mm-hmm. like in this filmic medium, uh, also don't have anything interestingly interesting to say. Sure, this is an interesting case where I actually don't feel the way you guys feel. Like I feel like so much. I feel like obviously everything was on purpose. I feel like, for instance, the Jerry O'Connell fight scene, which in the moment I wanted to blow my brains out watching. Right, really like where he fights the bouncer. Forever, yeah. Right, he fights the bouncer. They live type fight. Fifteen minutes, they live real time. Yeah, Yeah. guys, she's rapid fucking up. So here, let me, let me, let me. And this goes to almost my original point about this about this film, the way films are discussed. (laughs) 
the They Live type fight. The They Live fight yes. in general. For those of you who haven't seen They Live. Is incredible. Uh, it's incredible. It's Roddy Piper, Keith David. They fight for about eight minutes and they never <laughs> stop. And the whole, there, there's an obvious joke yes. going on there. Yes. Emphasis on obvious. Yes. There's not an Everybody obvious joke is, here. No, there eventually is. <laughs> it's it, but, the, the, the They Live one works because it reaches, it goes, you're like, wow, this is long. Then you're like, okay, this is too yeah. long. But then it keeps going, it's, which makes it so much better. This one ends before it can reach that second it's not a, what's going on here. Because that's the point I'm making. It's not... <laughs> the point I'm making about They Live is They Live, you know, John Carpenter, and I love that movie, mm-hmm. but you're very much on the inside from the beginning. You're, there, there, is, there is no question about what he's saying throughout the entire film. You're watching something satirical. You know who you're supposed to sympathize with. You, like, you understand where you are. You're very well oriented in that film. This film, you, this is not, a, to me, even a fucking Fight Club type fight. This is a nasty, ugly, gross, real-ish fight where you're just like, what the fuck is happening? Why is everyone watching? This is, like, I, I, I even like point out to weird things that happened in the 90s back then that I think this was commenting on. There was a big fucking bum fight movement in the 90s where people sold videos of bums fighting. There were like all sorts of like weird fucking like violent fighting things that would happen. And I think the idea that this guy got into a fight in the middle of a crowd and it just went on and on to the point of like, this isn't a movie fight. This is a bloody gross, like nasty, like down and dirty fight where it's just like... I do think if, that if, if, if like if you're walking away from that scene being like these are guys I, I I'm into and you're not like get away from him now and then he gets into the cab and pulls Tara Reid with him like it's like yeah. get away it's awful like I'm totally obviously on board with this I think this is all intentional um, I and I think the nasty execution is like kind of um, featured on a bug yeah I think that's I I don't disagree with anything you're saying I really do think that this film is about excess. This film stays in sequences too long. I think it it it's I mean there's a there's a whole blowjob sequence where they're just talking about blowjobs that feels like it goes on for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Like it it it's definitely a movie that is saying like you think you want this stuff, so we're going to give you way more than you think you want. I think that that's an interesting notion. It makes me wish that someone like Oliver Stone directed this mm-hmm. film. That would have been an interesting thing. It also, well, it's like Henneke where he like yeah. gives you funny games and you're like, you want horror? I'll give you horror. Right. Like I'll give you disgusting. And then right. you're like questioning yourself. You're like, oh, this is fucking awful. Why am I watching right. this movie? I'm not a big I, fan I, of that thing, but I think I think it also <laughs> yeah. like no, the, no, I'm really not. no. I, I no. believe you. Yeah. No, no. Like, I mean, I don't. It, it doesn't. I, think it's, I'm not a big fan of this. Sorry, Brooke. I'm just not a big fan of this. Like particularly Henneke Funny Games notion, uh, which is like, we are complicit. Mm. I, I just don't believe that I am complicit in uh, scripted things I see on screen because I am trying to like glean an understanding about humanity from it. Right. You know, like, don't do the funny games. But thing. I, I mean, no, do, I, do whatever I, you want. But like, it's not. It's not like I, mean, I don't take away what I think other people take away. I but. wanted to jump off of what what you said though about like you think you want this. This is about excess. You want to see this, yeah. and then like all your expectations are you know not are overturned. But like, there's only a very very specific subset of the population in even in 1999 who's going to want to go see this movie with the intention that like this might be fun. I'm not saying that that is a bad thing. Movies don't have to be made for everybody. But like, 
obviously I'm looking at this from a 2022 perspective, but given literally everything I know about every moment of my life as a woman that I've experienced, nothing would make me want to go see this film with this premise, with this trailer. I don't think that, I think only from kind of like this sort of like douchey, toxic masculinity, like bro forward mindset, are you going to walk into this film thinking like, this might be a good time? I I, want to... We also need to talk about the trailer at some point. I want, they, yeah. they allude to films in the trailer. It's what's the really important. Crazy. What's really important, though, what's really important about what you said, Brooke, is no one saw this movie. Like also true. The, the notion that yeah. the notion that like there is like some broy douchey group of people that went to this movie in mass is not true. No one saw this movie. This movie ultimately wasn't for anyone, and I would argue it's because it was neither fish nor fowl. But. But I do think it was a bit of a hit on video. Like, I do think that it tapped into the Cinemax kind of mm-hmm. thing, yeah. which is a very anecdotal. And you want to watch this alone. This we is maybe like, can look that up. Title, but like, that's that's like a little anecdotal. I don't think it's, I, I don't think ultimately people wanted this. I think the the douchey, broy people you want, you, you're talking about, went to go see American Pie. And that's not that was non-critical about their you know lifestyle and their choices whatsoever. Reduced every literally every every female character. I hate that movie to so much. But guys, 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 it's a terrible, terrible film. What if you fucked a pie? (laughs) (laughs) At least you make a great point. You know what, what, Jordan? At least the pie you know is anatomy. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, come on, you know, guys, there's a pie. (laughs) We really went to town on American Pie in our episode, which I think still going to come back up. I think it's up again. Oh. Oh, we can put it up. I, you know what? Even at this point, I don't think that. Yeah, because I even at this point, I don't think Chris, Chris White's would defend it because like, I agree with you. He's he's a good guy. Yeah, and I don't think that he would defend it. I don't think he understood that he was Jerry O'Connell in this movie. Like, I just don't. Interesting. Th- I, I, I don't think he understood that he was putting something out into the world Correct. that was really really bad. Well, it's. I mean, but it, you know, I can't, this can't be sort of uh, underlined enough. I mean, first of all, it should be said. You guys are youths. You're youngins. You oh, were yes. not there the when this was all happening. You weren't in a theater when American Pie came out. But I movie, was there for body shots. But you were there for body shots. I said, Mom, we're going to fucking body shots. <laughs> but, I, but American Mom. Pie played like fucking gangbusters. Yeah. I mean, yes. It, was, it yes. was an unbelievable hit. Oh, yeah. And, it, and I mean, listen, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't laugh in 99 sitting in that theater because there's an infectious kind of quality to what's going on in that film. And and, and you were also was, 19. Exactly. And, it's, and you were also 19. And like, to your credit... You didn't know everything, and <laughs> right. you know more things now. Right. The like, there is this idea that like I liked American Pie too in, in nineteen ninety nine. The idea that I was like, of course, I was I was wrong and somewhat like damaged by the media, but at least I fucking changed. I give sure, sure. I give people credit. I, I'll give a guy like you know David McKenna, Michael Christopher credit, and some of the great movies we've seen. Like I don't think this is a great movie, but I think some of the great movies we've seen, like a Being John Malkovich, that really understood things about you know human psychology mm-hmm. and honesty in a way that sure. people weren't talking about in 1999. Like you know you get fucking a lot of bonus points. Well, that's I mean this is you brought this up too, but this is sort of the Fight Club thing too, right? Yeah. I mean we did an episode on which, Fight Club, by the obviously. way, I loved. Sure, like, I loved I, it at the time. No, I, I no, I didn't like it at the time, oh, and I love oh, it okay. now. I, I quite liked it at the time for d- completely different reasons. I think I was suckered for all intents and purposes at the time into sort of its 
you know, edgy kind of cool finchery thing. Um, I don't think that I was red pilled by any means by the <laughs> film, but I do think there's that, a big difference. A very sure, sure. big difference. No, I, absolutely. But I'm, I'm just saying that like, I think that I was kind of sucked into the, the coolness of that movie at the time. I still think that it's a very slickly made movie, but in our episode, we obviously unpack, you know, what it's like watching that film in 20, I think 2021 when we did the episode versus, 99 and it's just it's it's a completely different animal right Mm -hmm. i I understand um that when a film comes out it can be you know it's when you were talking kenny about how uh you know this film has whatever it was on rotten tomatoes like 11 something like that on rotten tomatoes um you know pitchfork does something that i think is interesting which is they they Mm reevaluate some of their reviews Mm -hmm. they go back and they listen to an album again and yeah yeah. they'll actually change the The the, actual review proper exactly yeah and i think that more critics should do that I think that some critics do put themselves under a microscope from time to time based on social media taking them to task. But like sometimes it happens. And I do think that we should do that more often. I think that this film... We do it every week. We try to do it every week. But this film was perceived a certain way at the time by critics as being garbage, as being Cinemax, whatever the case Mm -hmm. might be. Roger Ebert's review being... In, uh, utterly insane Bad. in terms of his perspective on date rape. Um, I, I think that in 99, date rape for all intents and purposes didn't wasn't as much of a... I hate to say a thing, but I don't even think it was This wasn't... I mean, not that it matters. Yeah, but it wasn't this, a conversation. This, was not a conversation. Well, there was a conversation. Date rape, it, well, it was, but it was a different thing. Date rape was a very specific idea of drugging a girl. Correct. Yeah. Well, you go out with that. Yeah. It was, yeah, yes, yeah. it was drugging a girl... And it's a very and it's a, like to call it date rape almost sounded like it wasn't as severe, but yeah. like it was drugging a girl or anybody, but really yeah. it was you know I think was referring to men doing it to women uh, when you were with them either you know casually or on a date and taking them home in a you know in a totally compromised state. Yeah, this is a little different. This is you know look. I don't want to even say it was rape. The whole point of this movie was you're not in that room. You don't know. And you're supposed to be in the perspective of someone who is like, I think something fucked up happened. But what can I do if I can't like literally prove it in the moment? All I can do, because they had the went through the whole jury trial, the hung jury and all that. That's why I love the ending so much. It's like all we can do is kind of like look inward and reevaluate like the way we're going to proceed with each other. Because like what like what can I really glean from like a completely broken system? I, I mean, I think that that's I agree with that. I think that ultimately the film leaves us in the I put this in quotation marks, but the best place it possibly can in terms of the intellectual and the emotional ideas that it's trying to investigate. Um, but at the same time, I did find it to be an unsatisfying experience right like and and again maybe it's unfair of me to no, approach this film you, that you way you feel the way you but feel but I, I just mean i mean intellectually and emotionally T- taking the, the 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 actual viewing of the film out of the equation for a second i just think that that all of these pieces laid out the way that they're laid out makes it just a hard movie to enjoy really well, on any level let's all right i want to Broaden this conversation a little bit. Uh, feel free to uh, tighten it back if you if you guys don't want to go here. But um, we, I think this is a conversation that I'm I'm, I'm interested in having, uh, and I think is worth having. For whatever reason, in the last two weeks, I can't remember why it happened, but I 
found myself with a bunch of Hunter S. Thompson quotes in front of me. I think it was on some Twitter account or some something somewhere. And Hunter S. Thompson has a really interesting quote that applies to this movie, which is, sex without love is, and I'm paraphrasing, but something to the effect of, sex without love is as stupid as love without sex. Right? And... I think it doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's saying there, right? That's, to me, also the thesis of this film, right? Which is sex and love have been decoupled over the last 50 years, probably from 1999, right? I think, like, for me, as a kid, it was surprising to read Catch on the Ride from 1949, and Holden was actively trying to fuck without trying to fall in love. I'm like, oh, so this has been going on for a long time, right? Like, this idea. You know, way before my parents, like, quote, unquote, fell in love and had sex. So, um, so, quote, unquote. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> my, I love the idea that my mom is firing up the body shots episode <laughs> and she's going to get mad at me for this. But OK, so um, the last 20 years, 25 years, the decoupling of love and sex has been the default position of young people, progressive people, every people, everyone, I think, right? Like, I think, to me, there's a fairly easy demarcation point. It's the Bill Clinton trial where people on, where progressive people on Clinton's side had to say love and sex are two different things in order to move forward morally, you know? What do you guys think? I think that they are too different. I don't think that they have to uh, exist together. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the classic, speaking of classic quotes, everything ex- is sex except sex, which is power. Like this idea that like it, it is always about a little more than like the intimacy and like love and sex have been decoupled forever. I think mm-hmm. like. Now there's certain- but not not in a way that people knew it and accepted, not in a right. polite society kind of. Now there's certainly more of a kind of like you're making a statement if you were like consciously decoupling them. But I also think like a lot of it is the sense of trying to separate the gender roles that are like really clearly laid out in body shots and being like, if I'm a woman and like my male partner is gonna quote unquote date rape me anyway, like if there's a chance of that, like. What is, you know, why should I feel like love has to go hand in hand with sex when I can look at sex the way that men have been looking at sex for millions of years? And by men, I mean, like, you know, the patriarchy, male society, whatever you want to call it. Um, And like by doing so, how do I as like, you know, a more underserved person gain some of that power? Because it, it like at the end of the day, I do think it's about. Like, there's an element of power to sex, particularly, like, in the context of something like body shots that you can't divorce, like, from the cultural conversation or from, like, the actual text of the movie. It was always interesting to me, and I I want to keep going to you guys, but just commenting on what you said. It was always interesting to me, it always is interesting to me, that the men, to me, when there was a more, and I say this, like, relatively speaking, Relative to now, a more patriarchal society. Yeah. Um, there was this idea, and there remains this idea that you know, 
casual sex, sex, you know, aromantic sex was more of a masculine idea than a uh, feminine idea. And part of this, I guess, third wave of feminism was like this idea of, oh, no, it's something we want to. Right. It was something we as women want as well. Yeah. Is it? Like, I don't know. I mean, like, I know that's like, that sounds, that sounds glib. And, 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 Mm -hmm. but my question is like, because I come from it from a, you know, male perspective, which is like, it's not something I ever wanted. So it's not something I really intellectually understand. Like, I kind of, Mm. I certainly am not someone who, I don't want to get too deep into my sexual proclivities, but basically it was always, it was always romance. It was always romance and sex were hand in hand to me. Right. And we're always like the, the, mm-hmm. the, the goal is not to just fuck. The goal is to have sex with someone you love. You care about. Um, I so. think, I think that what I have really appreciated about like how the conversation around like sex and casual sex in the past 20 years has evolved is that we seem to have reached a point where we can acknowledge that one sex does not like the act of sex more than the yes. other. And I think that like it lets society as a whole look at um, casual sex as more of an individual thing sure. than a gendered thing. Men want casual sex. Therefore, you as a woman have to be blah, blah, blah. Women want emotional intimacy. Therefore, you as a man have to. It's more about like... Individual basis. Yes. Yeah. You should find a partner who thinks about sex and love and their relationship to each other the same way that you do Mm -hmm. and you can't paint like in these broad strokes like it's very very individual there's a huge spectrum of like what people like in sex and like yeah i mean i would would, would argue as well that um another weakness of this film is the fact that I don't feel as though it really shows the spectrum of sex. Oh, that it not is. at all. And I don't even mean, and again, I don't mean to to, to sort of project something um, onto the film that it didn't necessarily want to do, right? You were talking earlier, Kenny, about how very specific this film was in terms of the voice of it, and I don't, I don't disagree with you, but I do feel like from a sexual proclivity perspective, I'm not talking about having, you know, the, the, the entire spectrum of sexual activity in the course of this film. I don't think that that's a fair thing to ask of it, but, and again, it's in 99. So it's all a bunch of fucking, you know, right down the middle white people. So like that's its own thing. Well, I think, which is also mm -hmm. because I think it's so critical of this culture that this particular, this particular white cis culture Mm -hmm. that, you, I, I don't think I don't think you can, and again, I don't think you can kind of ask for broad, you know, for, I'm not for even, broadness I'm, because it is, just, it is criticizing things very specific and very pervasive and virulent in society. I mean, again, I, 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 you know, we've talked about this for five years, Kenny, in terms of intent, right? We can we we can only assume intent. We can only assume what this film might or might not have been saying, and that's why we do this podcast to to examine those things. So I don't know what the goal of this film was. Um, it's possible that that the sort of very specific, narrow perspective it had on sex was intentional. Um, but I did find myself just feeling like it was just so fucking... Like, the sex was so boring for the most part. Like, we have obviously this one... Again, that... again. Again, that might have been an intentional thing. I think thing, that's his point. But 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 it feels like it gets murky when you have the whole like yeah. Emily Proctor dressing up in this S and M situation. Like it feels as though it's just like 
that to me felt like it was making fun of those sort of proclivities, mm-hmm. which made, I think is definitely which is was, a bummer, and it was meant it, to be a little comeuppance for this character who comes by the gallon. Sure, but sure, but but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like I do yeah, think that, that, that I, there was an opportunity the, to do something more. This is this, but, but this gets back to like my original, original, original point, which is mm-hmm. instead of taking a survey of sexuality in 1999 and presenting all these different things. Yeah. It, it takes a narrow focus and presents a very, to me, specific and cogent argument, which is, I'm going to be generous and say sex in 1999 among young people is broken. And I really think it's actually what he's, what he has Brad Rose say in the movie, which is sex without love is violence. I really think that's what he is trying to say. Now, what I really want, the point I really want to make is like, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't really matter if I agree with that perspective or if I don't agree with that perspective. What I really am kind of taken by Mm. is the fact that such an unusual stance is taken in a way that I didn't ultimately find troubling. It's a stance that I think is humanitarian and is, is, is a genuine attempt to make the world a better place in a way that I don't think is exclusive, which I think it is kind of big hearted. And while it doesn't encompass the whole thing, it's almost impossible for anyone to encompass the whole thing. What I think it does is leads to conversations like this that are really rich where you can say, right, well, it doesn't really apply here. It doesn't really apply there. It doesn't really apply to 2022, or maybe it does. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, like people weren't saying that. No, I, and I, I agree it's, with that. It's contrary to like what the media was putting out there on a, on a minute by minute basis. And it's compelling. I think that I I absolutely agree that this movie is a, an example of its time. It's a product of its time Um, for good or for bad, mostly for bad as far as, as far as my, I'm concerned. Um, I do think that you're right, Kenny, that at that time, this was what we were being fed. And that's why, and again, might be a commentary on that. Who knows? I, I think that, I was just sort of surprised for a film that was sort of wearing sex on its sleeve in the way that it was, you know, even just like, you know, obviously you alluded to it at the top of the of the podcast, this sex scene that we have in this open space, public space, chain link fence shot like a Cinemax movie with this, you know, slow-mo and all this sort of stuff. And again, that might have been a commentary on those things. But I every, don't know. Everything can be a commentary on know, on anything. That's yeah. the thing is that it's like I don't think that. Although, like, I really, really respect the point of view, and I feel like I I do have more insight into this movie now. I just because a movie endeavors to make a point, yeah. doesn't mean that it gets brownie points. Well, in it, my opinion, it, to me, it does. But <laughs> to me, it does. But like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but but more to the point, like I just you know the the where we differ and where I differ with you guys is I think it makes point pretty well. The movie that I want to bring up in terms of mm-hmm. another movie that Phil and I both watched for another podcast that very much deals with sex and the way it's commoditized in the nineties is Showgirls. Oh, a good movie. Uh, you just <laughs> that's a great movie. Really unlocked the Showgirls and inc- Showgirls is an love incredible movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we both love it, and we you know we 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 lauded it on our Razzie's best you know our, our Razzie screen draft. It was number two, and it was basically you know could have been number one. It's one of the best movies. <laughs> so was it number one? 
No, Freddie got fingered was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, my apologies. Yes, Freddie got fingered was, was. But but I, I almost wish Showgirls was because it aspires to something greater. Yes. Um, Showgirls was also a movie where, you know, a lot of things that were quote unquote in now. Verhoeven is Mike. I'm not saying Mark Christopher is fucking Paul I was going to say, to me, it's like Verhoeven seems like he knows what he's doing. Christopher does not So much of that, yes. And I think, you know, in night. Esterheads might not know what he's doing, but that's neither here nor there. He's just hitting keys. I'm convinced that's the exact opposite of like this movie, even though, you know, where I think this was a pretty incredible screenplay that was kind of. That was kind of, you know, deflated a little bit by its direction, where Esterhaus's screenplay is sounds like the ravings and rantings of a of a weirdo pervert. In the best yeah. way that possible. was. Yes. No, but um, I, I agree. The my language elevates, which is what he yes. does every time. Which he's like, well, like he gives. I think he. I, I think he instead of looking at a screenplay from a guy who could write, Esterhaus can write. So instead, so instead of looking at a, a very highly competent screenplay and, and pointing out all the ways it's you know fucked up and dramatic, he is able to uh, elucidate all the ways in which that speaks to our moment. He did it with RoboCop. He did it with Starship Troopers. He did it with Showgirls. I think that uh, I, I think that Showgirls also in the moment suffered from a lot of the same criticisms that we're hurling at this movie now, which is the acting is bad. It's not. I think her performance is legendary, but at the truly legendary, but you have, but you have to want the, you have to want the movie to start looking at Elizabeth Berkeley in that film and being like, all right, so like you knew exactly what you were doing with all of this shit. And you're really, you're really playing up this idea of sex kitten, this idea of femme fatale, this idea of women's roles in these type of movies. You're playing up the idea of hysteria. You're play, it's like it, it only like uh, the idea that her performance was fucking shit on is so it's upsetting. Insane. It's so upsetting to me. And it ruined her life and career. Yeah, I want to also just say Jordan. Too. Well, real fast, I can see he's been he's been dying to. No, no, you're <laughs> the thing is like you're making good points and you're in like but like with the, like just thinking about this screenplay like I don't know whether it's just because it's Esther House or something and whether it's Verhoeven's direction or the actors being so cued in, but like some of the dialogue in you know Basic Instinct or this like he got off before he got off you know like w- an incredible line but then you hear something like this where he's like my dick looks like a chew toy where there's like not enough knowingness it feels like it's like a half a step point. Re- removed from being so aware of what it's doing and I don't know whether that's because Esther House was a fucking psychotic madman no, or just a most better likely. writer right, no, it's, right. It's, and it's, I no. think like it's, that is it's because Verhoeven's an incredible director exactly well, I, 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 I wanted to say that because I'm glad you brought up Verhoeven because I think it's worth unpacking I think yeah. it, and this piggybacks on yeah. what both of you were saying because Verhoeven is a uh, a very explicit filmmaker. Lots of sex in his yes. movies. He makes sex so fascinating and weird scary. and scary <laughs> and sensual and all of those things. Right? I don't. I would argue that there might not be another filmmaker who explores sex no. as brilliantly as he does. This makes sex so fucking awful and boring and like gross because there's no like, love. But, no, but not but not well, good that's awful. The point. Not not, not good, good awful. awful. Like you should you feel like you're engaging with the material. I think boring is the best yeah. word to describe it. Yeah. Again, everything I, is shot 
very flatly. And again, like we said, mm-hmm. sure, you can say it's shot flatly because X, Y, and Z. I'm and that is the whole that. reason why we do like podcasting that, and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not saying yeah. that you're saying that. I'm saying that it's like, that's an argument that could be made. But at the end of the day, what really matters is that shooting it that way is entirely well, what's interesting too is that Christopher is a filmmaker if you look at his credits right yeah. he's got that movie Original Sin with Antonio Banderas and Ange- and uh, Angelina Jolie mm-hmm. he, and, and which is a Eastwick he is into the idea of unpacking sex in somewhat interesting ways it's just he seems to be better at it when it's a little more dialed up when it's a little bit more I, I don't know complicated or, or or just whatever the case might be. It's not that he's not interested in exploring these things and I'm glad that he wants to try to. I just think that this film just... No, I think he's I think he's very much I, th- I think he's very much disillusioned by where sex has the, the turn yes. sex has taken in the 90s. Just in terms of Verhoeven versus Christopher, I mean we're not I'm, I'm not really comparing the two. What it seems like and this is very much me, you know, kind of projecting onto these films is Verhoeven has an uncanny ability to either get his char- get his actors to understand his vision or cut around it in a way that it works. Yeah. It's crazy. Because like in Starship Troopers, you we know yeah. that they thought they were they were delivering yeah. it straight. Yeah. Right? My sense with body shots is that is that these characters are even either told too little or too much. Right, I can't really figure out whether or not they were like told, play it straight. It's a you know, it's a nineties right. movie. It's a it's a nineties like romp, like so many shitty horrible movies that say nothing that we see in this year, or whether they're like what we're what he's like. What we're actually doing here is di- is dissecting and flipping what happens in all the movies. So I want you to play it like that. But I don't think that there was any again color of night esque okay. um, <laughs> any color of night esque like oh no what we're doing here is something you've never seen before so play it like you're nuts I think like you look at his filmography though and like Bonfire the Van like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that's also a satire but it's also so deeply unsuccessful and that one has a good director behind it so like I quote unquote <laughs> you really you don't like De Palma Oh fuck! For some reason, I thought it was. Uh, I was about to like. I saw it. I, no, no. For some reason, I thought it was. For some reason, I thought it was Schumacher. Oh, I don't know why no, I thought. No, that. No. Hey, hey! <laughs> oh, I know, I know, I know. Hey there, Excuse sir. Uh, yeah, you. we love, we love Schumacher. I, uh, but I, I love De Palma, yeah. except when I hate him. Ex- I mean, sure, of course, sure, sure. yeah. Yes. That's like half of his filmography at this point now, because yeah. he just all of the shit that he yeah. did. But I think it's like I think that's emblematic of like this film where it like. It has a satirical aspiration, perhaps, but like no matter what, if it's like a good writer or a good director behind it, I just don't think that maybe Christopher is up to the challenge that he has set out for himself. And so he's just kind of fallen on his face. Mm-hmm. And I, I, yeah, it, it, it definitely feels like he's really struggling. Yeah. Um, let's rate this. Yeah. Let's 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 great film. Move on with our lives. Um, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, do you want to go first? Oh, God. Or Brooke, do you Brooke, want to go Brooke, first? Brooke. Sure. So this is the percentage scale. Yeah, zero to ninety-nine. Um, I'm going to give this well. Let's well, here's here's the question. Yes, zero to ninety-nine before this before podcast, this. Uh, and then after, after yes. because Kenny makes some very valid points. Now listen, this is going to sound harsh, and this is in no way <laughs> way harsh time. There, there. This is in no way. I want to make it very clear: a reflection on Kenny's argument, which I thought was incredibly well researched well, and you. very well. <laughs> laid out yeah, yeah, like yeah. if i was uh 
grading a paper with which you laid out this argument, I would give you an A. Thank However, you. Appreciate B plus. It. However, she's yeah. not. However, <laughs> well, I didn't make. I the do movie. not think I that, made the paper. I do not think that it personally changed how I feel about the movie. It gave me additional perspective, but I don't think that that perspective, uh, you know, actually made it through. So, but I will say, before the recording, I would give this movie like a ten. I. <laughs> Hated it. I found it very, very hard to find any redeeming elements. I would say after, I'll give it a twenty-five. I listen. Hey, twenty-five is pretty good. Fifteen points is good, no matter when. Yeah, that's fifteen points of thoughtful discussion on love. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sex and the 90s and (laughs) macho masculinity. Guys, we've done a lot of movies together now. And it didn't even make a million. So, like, you know, I feel really bad. Jordan, Um, you go ahead. Jordan. I was trying to do the math in my head, like, what a half star on a five-star scale is. So, whatever. It's a 10. It's a 10. So, I'm going to start out with a 10 as well. I'm sorry. You guys. I'll go up to a 25 as well just to agree (laughs) with Brooke. Because I can't can't be too mean. But, like, I feel like we didn't even dig into, like, like I wish I and, had the script in front of me, so yeah. I could just like page by There's page be like. Lines in this movie that just make you want to crawl. It's the not yeah. like disastrous. The, I, I, but how is it? How how is it not about? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. No, God, I'm uh, sorry. I don't want to know. I'll tell you. Books. This is this is. Uh, well, Entourage is a pretty horrible, horribly written show. Uh, the lines are often horrible and embarrassing. Except when they came out of the mouth of Jeremy Piven. I thought you were going to say, say except when, when they came from my mouth. Yeah. No, 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 to turn shit into gold. So I do Ari gold? Into Ari Gold. Yeah. I but, do um, I do think that in that that the script and lines like we're talking about could have been delivered in ways uh that we would not be so could have should have possible. Could've should we didn't know. Know. we did talk about the fact that like you know casting this movie differently could have yeah. elevated. Could have should have woulda I don't think that the lines are are clearly 
worse than some of the worst lines or quote unquote worst lines in Showgirls. They're just delivered as part of a piece that There's, I understand I what he's working with. So, yeah. well, since we have you guys, obviously, where does this fall on the on the queer quadrant? <laughs> half star. Half, I would give it a half star specifically for maybe one star for a specifically mention of the prostate as uh, <laughs> correct, correct. There is mention of the prostate, pleasure, the pleasure dome. Because this was, I feel like you want to talk about like '90s cultural moments. I feel like that's such a. Did you know that if you stick, mm. I mean, fucking yeah. stick. Shit. Ron, Ron Livingston in this movie, the, the character of Trent is is fucking. He bonkers. needs this, what is he? Yeah. Doing he's in he's this lucky, movie. very lucky that, that this, this movie. movie because he's lovely and I love I, him yeah, I and almost too. everything he does and it's his worst saddest it's performance really not good he stuff. totally missed it um, yes. so I didn't see this film in 99 before this podcast I was at a 25 that's where I started from yeah, that seems uh, that's and, what and, I expected and, from a and, reasonable person <laughs> Uh, and and Kenny did move me up to a thirty nine. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I do think that this I would never recommend anybody to watch this movie. Um, it, but but I do think that if I'm if I'm trying to find some positives, I'll say that like I think Amanda Peet is really really good in it. I think that you wouldn't recommend people to watch this movie. No, guys. Okay, <laughs> Kenny, you're up. Kenny. I'm up. Let me tell you my journey with this. Would you actually recommend this to people? Are you over a fifty on this? course oh, uh would i actually recommend this to people did you not hear me through this entire podcast well, this isn't an this is an interesting this is a really interesting movie to discuss here's here's a better question for you how would you recommend this movie to someone would you recommend it with context would you just say throw it on and then call me like Whoa. how would you <laughs> no i would, how would that's you a great question up? that's a great question i would people watch never this. in any world recommend it and say just throw it on you'll like it yeah Ever. I think that's kind of telling. Just well, saying. would you do that with Fight Club? I mean, yes. like, yes. Absolutely. Because Fight Club is a well-made movie. Yeah. I would, if, honestly. You wouldn't, you wouldn't recommend Fight Club with context? No. No. Good for you guys. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, 2022, an alien comes down, you're like, watch Fight Club? They, 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 no. Well, I would have a lot of other every, movies I'd recommend to an alien first. But every like, movie. <laughs> Same with me. We, but every movie, this is the first every movie to. that you recommend to someone, mm-hmm. with the exception of movies with incredible twist endings, I think you have to have some kind of context. My context with this movie would be: this movie is the anti. Uh, for I would re- recommend specifically to a person who is skeptical of break of American Pie, and say so you want to see a movie that does something similar but the exact opposite. Watch Body Shots, and then I think yeah, with the double bill of American Pie and Body Shots I, would be an interesting. As long as as long as as long as you present, no one it. goes to that screen. Well, no, the the scary thing about the double bill is to me is people would think they were you know the yeah. same, yes. but they're not. So as long as you present it as the yin and the, the yin and the yang of two things, then I'm down with that. Okay. Okay. Here's my journey with this film. Uh, as this movie ended, and I was truly blown away by the end. Like 99% of films would have had these two have romantic sex at the end Absolutely. of this movie. Yeah. This movie did not. They had the woman cradle the fucking man. Like, just recognize how bold that was. Okay. okay. This is nice to be spooned. This That's is, right. Yeah. It is nice to be spooned. We all like to be the little spoon. Yes, but, of course it is. Where are you landing? Being the little spoon. You have no, no, but, but I have, but I have yeah. to give you my journey. Okay. Love this movie at the end. Gave it a 77. Jesus fucking Christ. Before, before this podcast, I was like thinking about it. And when you were sending the GIF, the GIF, and I'm just like, God, how can I even like, like ride for this like i'm going to make my like intellectual arguments but like 
this movie definitely falls in the 50s zone for me. Though that that I have explicitly said is for noble failures. It is for noble failures that um that I do think are interesting films, but I don't think did its job. So I gave it a 58 before the podcast. I went from 77 I'm like what am I doing? Who am I trying to be here? And I went down to 58. And I'm not going to do the thing you think I'm going to do. I'm not going to go all the way back to 77 after the podcast. You're going to go at 69. Just to really Just drive home. I'm going to go at what this movie I'm going to go at 67, which is the big spoon. Oh my god, but you the were The big so spoon close. hugging the little spoon. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm going to I'm 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 only going to go up to 59 because I do think this film really belongs like when when I explained the 50 zone on being Jamakovich to to Mark, Mark and Adam yeah. My point is like they're like the fifties are where like interesting movies that don't do its job perfectly should lie, and that's what I think this film is—a really interesting movie, worthy of discussion. Certainly not a movie that that you know fulfilled its potential, or not a movie that executed in all its goals. But like this is not a movie that you should like throw away, in, by any sense. Put it in the trash, but that's just me. I'm just. I'm shocked. I second the trash. All right. I don't. I don't. If people, listen, if people I, I, after this 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 discussion came away thinking that these three want to put it in the trash, God, you weren't like. I don't no, know. I, I, here's here's what I'll say. I'm, I'm thirty nine. Not a little that bit, bad. I know, it's fine. I'm I'm being just. I believe, I'm just trying to be a shit disturber. I think that it's. I think it's. Uh, it's. I don't think it's a good movie. I wouldn't recommend people uh, seeing it. I agree with your assessment of the fifty percent sort of. You know, area. Uh, it just, I, it's just, it just didn't work for me. Hey, doesn't work for everyone. Y'all right. thought right. this was going to be a really quick, breezy episode yeah, to tack onto the end of Crazy. In I Alabama. knew that this would be before Crazy. Oh, great! Well, you have Crazy so much fun. Crazy Alabama is a good chaser. You guys like Crazy Alabama? Crazy in Alabama? Yes. This? Yes. Even though Crazy in Alabama is like a fucking. I think it's a worse movie, but I think what deeply horrible. What works in that movie? I found more entertaining. Yes, than this. it also just entertaining I mean, is a good word. It's also executed in a way that, it's, like, it's slightly higher. Again, like, it's just the, the below like the line. One of the on worst it. motherfucking right. movies we've done. I don't like it. I didn't like it. No. I did, did, didn't didn't didn't, didn't they solve racism or something in that yes, movie? Yeah, oh, yes. Come on, guys. And Lucas yes. Black is in it. And there's yeah. two movies. Yeah. But yeah. It's, I, I would argue. I, I think what you said is correct. Worse script, better execution, more entertaining. You, so you think that Antonio Banderas did a better job directing that film? He's doing. Uh, He's trying to do on Motivar. Discount yeah. on Motivar. And it works. It's, but listen, guys, if nothing else, guys, that's a great guys, tee up for guys. people yeah. to stick around yeah. and guys. listen to our Crazy in Alabama. Yeah, listen episode. to Crazy in Alabama. Apparently it's good. I, mean, I, 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 I don't think I don't think it's not. These people love it. These people love it. If you want, it's in my top four on Letterbox. I don't even know that I gave it a higher rating than I did Body Shots. I'm just. I don't think you could have. I don't. But I think I think these two. I'm looking it up just because I'm curious. I don't. I'm sure I did, but that was also. You know, that was I wasn't as comfortable with you guys. I gave Crazy in Alabama twenty five before the podcast. I don't know where I landed, well, but um, I gave it um, twenty twenty five. Seems generous. I, you know what? Pre podcast, it's actually lower than Body Shot. Started at thirty five, ended at thirty. So, like, I'm not saying that that Crazy in Alabama. No, I didn't think movie. you were. I didn't think you were because it's not. There's nothing to uh, talk about instead of all the ways it sucks. Crazy in Alabama is not. They're not saying this either. Brooke and Jordan aren't writing for Crazy in no, Alabama. No, definitely not. They're just they're just uh, saying Kenny, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny, do not. Kenny's making sir. the yes, sir. Yes. But but at the same time, I think that there's a competence 
to the actual production of Crazy in Alabama that Body Shots just doesn't. I'd have. rather watch that movie again because it's almost like a fascinating disaster versus this where it's just like an uncomfortable. Also, Melanie Griffith is fuck- I mean, it's yeah. Melanie Griffith. Like, right. she's, at least she a showed star. up. She gave it. She's. She, it's yeah, anyway. All right, guys. All right, I'm gonna go watch Body Shots again. All Good right. movie. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.